It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Afternoons on SEN. Good afternoon, one and all, and welcome to SEN Studios here in Adelaide for Colo and Baz's World Cup party with thanks to Brick Lane, lovers and makers of great beer, drink responsibly. I'm Adam Collins, in for Dwayne Russell, and with me for the next three hours is a man who is well on his way to becoming a South Australian living treasure. Brat Sunder Ayson, second semi-final of the World Cup tonight, over the bridge between India and England. This is going to be fun. I'm dressed for a party, Adam. <laughs> Let's do this. Yeah, and we've just had our coffee and egg and bacon roll for now. But yeah, it's 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 here. The semi-final is here. I mean, everybody thinks all roads lead to an India-Pakistan final, but I'm sure England have something to do with it. But we'll rest and park that for later. For now, let's just welcome everyone in and have fun. Absolutely. We're kind of like the summer newsreaders today, aren't we? So we have a degree of latitude with Dwayne Russell away for the day. Kind of like when Peter Hitchener would be hosting the Channel 9 News when I was a kid instead of Brian Naylor, which will probably mean nothing to you. I see the stunned look in your eyes, but you know what I'm talking about. I know all about Jane Doyle and nothing happens in Adelaide unless <laughs> Jane Doyle says so. But also it reminds me of watching cricket on um, Channel 9 and when Bill Laurie would say... You know, oh, if you've been away putting the clothes away or if you've been at the beach, this is what <laughs> happened. So you'd welcome everyone back after the news. We're going to break the golden rule of broadcasting, uh, of under-promising and over-delivering. We're going to go the opposite today. So we cracked open our contact books. We're one day only on the show to try and get the best guests we can here in Adelaide to talk about tonight's game. So, so we might have Harsha Bogle. Mm-hmm. We, we might have Ravi Shastri. We might not, but we're going to keep pestering them. <laughs> we do. Everyone's here, right? So... You know, it is a party. Everybody, the doors are open. Everybody can walk in. Asha Bogle was just calling me sometime back. Maybe Ooh. that means he's on his way. Hope so. Uh, we will have Zainab Abbas, the mega broadcaster from Pakistan, to talk about their mighty win over the Black Caps last night at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Everybody knows about Zainab's like 20 million Twitter followers. Little known fact, she has worn my Chris Mew 1988 <laughs> grand final jumper at a Christmas party a couple of years ago. So she knows what's going on in the other code we talk about. We'll have Sam Perry from the Grey Cricketer swinging by to talk about the Australian team, specifically the extent to which the country is kind of down on them at the moment mm. after they were bundled out uh, late last week. There's a bit going on there, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, do Australians still love their team the way they did even last year when the Ashes were on? A lot of questions being asked. Does it have anything to do with the players having too much of a say? Some claim to think that. But I think more than anything, I think it's also seasonal. October is not cricket season and Australia getting knocked out doesn't help. But I'm sure everybody will be excited when Australia and England take each other on in that ODI three days from now. Everyone's already excited about the final that might be on Sunday between Pakistan and India. But they've got to beat England tonight. So we'll have a full contingent of our UK colleagues Mm. here in the studio. Daniel Norcross flying in from Sydney. He's England's best ball-by-ball commentator. He's leading up the BBC coverage tonight. He'll be in the studio, as will the Fleet Street crew of (laughs) Dean Wilson from the Daily Mirror and George DeBell of the Cricketer magazine. Uh, They're very much underdogs tonight, aren't they? Uh, Yeah, Uh, underdogs, at least not on paper, really, but in terms of uh, people wanting them to win. 
you look at that batting lineup, and I'm sure we'll discuss this in detail with them. Uh, match winners everywhere, and Sam Curran has been a revelation with the ball. India haven't really fired the way they would want to. They've kind of got to the semi-finals without really looking very good. So England, cricketing-wise, might be favourites, but there will be 41,500 <laughs> people cheering for India and 500 England barmies in there, though. That, that sounds about right. And the Black Caps fans will throw open the talkback line so you can vent your spleen after your <laughs> thrashing by Pakistan last night. That'll be one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Give us a call. Thanks to where we'll be Kia. And you can text in 0433 the famous SEN text line. Uh, thanks to 40 Winks Temper Text. Uh, text him. We'll read them out throughout the course of the show. Uh, and as a special treat, Baz, when I was a university student and SEN first started, and driving around Melbourne, doing my thing, I used to always tune in for the super quiz at the end of the show. We're going to bring it back today. We're going to have the, let's call it the Bazalenko All Sports Super Quiz. So we'll, we'll kind of, uh, we'll kind of, uh, we'll write that as we're going, <laughs> but you can expect plenty of obscure questions about Australian gold medalist of the 1990s at the Olympic Games and and stuff like that. And, and kind of without going full Brett Kirk, expect plenty of positive energy as we fire up ahead of the semi-final tonight. There's a lot to get through. There's also Sheffield Shield action, yes. AB Field between Queensland and Victoria. So we'll do score updates all the way through with thanks to Masters Builders Victoria. Get expert legal support. Become a Masters Builders Victoria member today. Oh, and I buried the lead on the guests, by the way. We've got Ian Smith coming up shortly. Very we talked about so, yeah. New Zealand last night. Uh, and just before we go to the break and, and get to Smithy, uh, they were the form team of the comp a week and a half ago. It fell away completely. It did, but uh, they were the form team going into the semifinals, but Pakistan were the red-hot team going into the semifinals. And that's the thing. That's the beauty of Pakistan cricket. Right? When they start the way they did... Only they could have gone from being nearly knocked out to becoming the most dangerous team in the World Cup in the space of five days. And everything seems to be clicking for them. And New Zealand, once again, getting to another semi-final, not going all the way through. I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about with Ian Smith. And remember here in 92, Baz, in the, in the 50-over World Cup, this is where England knocked over Pakistan for mm. 73. And then the rain tumbled down. They get out of jail with that. If Pakistan lose there, their World Cup campaign is over. There are some similarities to this year where I think Crickfield's had it at 3% chance <laughs> they'd qualify for the semifinals when they were 4 for 40 against South Africa. Like this time last week, they get on a roll. They make big runs against South Africa. They hold their nerve and win comfortably against Bangladesh. And last night was brilliant. I mean, they did everything right. A Pakistan cricket is a binge-worthy net. Uh, digital series, web series, and, and so on, Adam. You never know. At the end of episode two, you don't know how episode five is going to play out. And that's why it's so exciting. That's why it's been so much fun covering Pakistan cricket over the years. And, and also, at this point, at this point, whoever wins tonight, I still think Pakistan go into that final as favourites. Yeah, it's something about World Cups and gelling at the right time, being at your peak at the right time. There are also similarities, I suppose, to the 1999 50-over mm. World Cup, but where Australia were in a similar situation to Pakistan ran the table, and away they go. Uh, but in that tournament, uh, the, the hosts, England, were out early in the group stage, like Australia in this one. The tournament was probably a little mm. bit early in the summer, like this one has been as well. And, and Pakistan won the semi-final over New Zealand. So there are, there are links wherever you want to find them. No, I think Pakistan would want to uh, think back to 92 and not 99. We all know what happened in the final. But here they're back at the MCG. And I brought out my Bill Laurie earlier. So if Pakistan do win that final, all I want, I want it to end the same way. Uh, Pakistan are defending a total and you hear Bill Laurie go up, 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 up in the air. And Pakistan win the World Cup. And that's what I want to hear. Bring back Bill Laurie for that game. The fact that they can bring in a player like Muhammad Harris as well. He wasn't in the squad 
uh, before the South Africa game. Uh, Thacker Zaman uh, is pulled out on the basis of what was called an abdominal strain, whatever that is, uh, and out of the squad. In comes Muhammad Harris with this uh, attacking intent, makes runs in all three games. He's been a revelation. You know, everybody's been getting excited about Surakumar Yadav and how he's just made a mockery of the conditions. He's been one batter who's been able to just walk out there, play shots, look very positive. And then Mohamed Harris shows up and he's as good, if not uh, on par with Surya Kumar Yadav. We just haven't seen enough of him. And you remember when we were in Pakistan earlier this year, Wakar mm. Yunus and everyone were mm. shouting out for Harris to come back into or come into this T20 side. He's been outstanding in the PSL and every other league he's played in. And we're seeing why. What a luxury to be able to have Shahid Sharafridi back into the 11 had he been injured in the build-up to the tournament. Nassim Shah, who only made his T20 debut back in August against England. Then they got Harris Ralph, who's the quickest bowler, along with Mark Wood in the competition. And Mohamed Wazim Jr., who seemingly comes from the clouds as well. Four all-out quicks. I thought T20 cricket was going to be where fast bowling came to die when it started nearly 20 years ago now, Baz. The complete opposite in this comp. And the variety they provide as well, right? And Shaheen Afridi, a like, lot of criticism back home in Pakistan about maybe he was rushed into the side in that game against India. He wasn't fit enough. But we've seen, even in the game against Bangladesh and last night, he's finding his rhythm much like the Pakistan team when it matters. Harris Rauf, Melbourne's uh, favourite son, uh, you know, in the BBL, he's done it before there. And Naseem Shah, for me, alongside Sam Curran and Arshdeep Singh, has been the fast bowler of the tournament. Yeah. The variety he's provided... Uh, not conceding a boundary in the 20th over yesterday with Jimmy Neesham and Daryl Mitchell in there just tells you how special that young man is. And, and look, they have everything going for them. Shadab Khan in the middle overs with the ball, with the bat. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There is no weakness in this Pakistan side. Right, bit of housekeeping, Baj. You better call Harsha Bagley during the break <laughs> and get him down to our guest spot in the studio. We've got text in here. We've got uh, one from Brett saying, hopefully tonight's semi-final is less boring than last night. So do we. Uh, as a mad cricket fan in WA, I can't get my head around this team after what happened to JL. That's Matt in Perth. That will be coming up in our conversation with Sam Perry in a little bit in the next hour of the show. Uh, this is the Colo and Baz World Cup party. Everyone is invited. Everyone is invited. That's better. Uh, tell your mates on the other side of our break, the great Ian Smith. No, no. Bowls to Masood. One run to go. Masood drives. He beats Southie and the deed is done. Pakistan is going back to a World Cup final at the MCG. It has been a commanding chase and it's a mighty win. Pakistan by seven wickets. Perfectly captured there by Jared Waitley. The deed is done for Pakistan. They'll be at the MCG on Sunday for the World Cup final. Who they play, we'll find out this evening when India play England in the second semi-final. Welcome back to Colo and Baz's World Cup party. Thanks to Brick Lane for, for lovers and makers of great beer. Drink responsibly. And for Masters Builders Victoria, get expert legal support. Become a Masters Builders Victoria member today. Baz, before we go to Ian Smith, carnage in the mm -hmm. Sheffield Shield. Victoria being sent in at AB Field in November. It has a familiar pattern to it over the years, this. Yeah, deeds being done uh, at Allen Border Field. Victoria, 6 for 27 at the moment. No surprises who's taken most of the wickets. Michael Nisa, oh, hashtag Nisa must play Adam He's still Collins. my beating heart. 3 for 9. Shock, uh, like, you know, absence from the test squad, in my opinion, anyway. He will play the A game. But, yeah, 3 for 9, Victoria and all sorts. So, uh, Victoria, Queensland, we'll keep an eye on that and an ear on that through the course of our show. First up, in terms of World Cup coverage, though, it's esteemed cricket commentator and SENZ Mornings host, Ian Smith. Uh, Smithy, uh, g'day. Welcome to you to our show today, the World Cup party, but uh, not a fun one for New Zealand fans after being bundled out last night 
at the SCG. What a disappointing end to a campaign that started so well. Yeah, our party's over. Uh, good afternoon, guys. Lo- lovely to be on your show. Yeah, we uh, we were timid. Uh, we were we were so far below our best uh, in pretty much every department of the game that we got the shellacking that we deserved. Really, um, you know, we we, we we've got to learn. Uh, to be honest, when it comes to these big occasions, to put fear away, and and they won't acknowledge that they, you know, they were uh, a little bit shell shocked by the whole deal. But I think they were. They played like it. They played like they were sort of stuck in the headlights. We lost that early wicket of Finn Allen, um, and we never really recovered from that. The run out of, of Conway was crucial, uh, and we never got to a point where uh, it looked from the outside that uh, they wanted to really launch hard and go hard at Pakistan until right at the very end. And of course. You know, by that stage, with two to three overs to go, they were never going to get uh, more than the 150, 160 at the most. So it was a timid display with the bat, uh, having decided to, that they wanted to bat first. I, I couldn't got, quite get my head around it. Uh, not to bring back worse memories for you, Smithy, but uh, any comparisons at all to the last time Pakistan and New Zealand were in a World Cup semi-final and a World Cup in Australia slash New Zealand? Well, yeah. Yeah, thanks for not reminding me. That's very kind of you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, look, th- 30 years ago, um, when I was involved, and, and to be perfectly honest, the, some of these guys weren't even born then, so <laughs> there shouldn't have been any too many repercussions or, or memories for this team. But, uh, yeah, it was very similar, actually. Um, I'd like to think we, we actually set Pakistan a, a slightly higher target in those days, but um, they were too good for us then. Uh, and they were too good for us uh, last night as well. I mean, you know, you, you cannot give Barbara Azam uh, a second opportunity. He's just too damn good. Um, he hasn't been in his best touch, but he's starting to show signs of it again, which might scare India or England after tonight. But hey, they're, they're too good. They're, they were too good on the night. There's, there's very little excuses apart from the fact that we just sort of threw up the white flag to some extent in a couple of departments. We usually feel better than that. We're much more aggressive in the field. Uh, we, we don't drop those kinds of catches. Um, we just saved, simply saved our worst to last, uh, and that is playoff, playoff cricket, as uh, New Zealand have come to sort of expect it. Smithy, I'm, I'm mindful of uh, how quickly New Zealand tend to be written off at the end of major tournaments when it doesn't go their way, but, but in saying that, do you feel... Like this has a bit of an end of an era vibe to it, especially given we're a couple of years away from the next T20 World Cup. Um, they made some big. They've made some big calls um, recently with uh, leaving out uh, Ross Taylor um, and, and then, of course, um, leaving out Martin Guptill. So they've made big calls. Maybe they have to make another one in terms of uh, perhaps a change of leadership, a change of coaching. Uh, you know, we're we're one of the only sides in the world that has the same coach and captain in all three disciplines of the game. And I'm not quite sure there's room for that anymore. I think you have to be um, smarter thinking. I think you have to be more aggressive. You cannot afford to take one game plan into another form of the game. And we sort of approached um, we've sort of approached T20 cricket uh, with a with a 50-over type belief. And, of course, you just simply haven't got that much time. Uh, we've got to play without... Without fear, we have to get um, a, a, a captain in there. I'm not saying we leave Kane Williamson out, but we, we have to um, get into a, a frame of mind where we're not scared to get out uh, for, for the sake of winning the game, particularly in the top of the order. So that, at the moment, uh, doesn't seem to be there. 
Yeah, just two boundaries for Williamson last night, a six and a four, making 46 from 42 deliveries. When it doesn't work for an anchor, when they get out before they get a chance to explode, it does stand out and it does to an extent feel like shooting Bambi with Williamson. We all love Kane, don't we, for what he's achieved for New Zealand across a, a long stretch of time now. But it's pretty clear from what you think, Smithy, that there may not be room for him necessarily as captain or even as a player if T20 keeps evolving. Yeah, I think T20 keeps evolving and you want to evolve with it, you have to go faster. You have to go harder. You have to go fresher. Uh, look, and he'll know that. I mean, he, he's, he's, he looked very disappointed when he walked off, uh, I think, two innings ago. He scored 40 off 40. Um, and, and that was against, I uh, think, England. That wasn't good enough. Um, you know, and he knows that. But it's not his style of play to be reckless. It's not his style of play. Uh, to run down the wicket and try and hit someone out of the ground um, before he gets to 20 or 30. Uh, and, and, you know, that's fine as long as you're firing at the other end. And, and if you're not firing at the other end and he's the key, uh, the key is too slow. Um, so, you know, if he plays, he has to adjust. He's been a good T20 player. He's earned lots and lots of money playing in the IPL because he is a very good T20 player. But at the moment, um, it, you can't compare the attitude of the New Zealand top order to uh, a lot of the top orders uh, that have played in this competition. And, and it's really the landscape of cricket is changing all the time. All these leagues coming through. Uh, Trent Bolt has taken a decision uh, in that direction. Uh, how do you see the Trent Bolt situation now? Is he going to play just in between World Cups? Or will he go from World Cup to World Cup? And what impact does that have on the on New Zealand cricket itself? Well, without Trent Bolt, we're not the same bowling attack. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he is. Uh, he wasn't at his best last night, but he is uh, a top draw. I mean, if you look at World Cups, white ball World Cups over the, the last uh, two to three years, he's been a key factor in those. He's been right up the, the top of the wicket takers. Um, his economy rate is good, and he, he genuinely is, uh, you know, he's a prize, a prize for us to have. So without him, uh, our test team in particular will not look as good. Uh, one can only hope that he finds windows, and the ICC will not schedule uh, world cricketing events up against um, the T20 leagues, I would imagine. They've still got windows for those. So it is to be hoped that Trent Bolt will be available to us when it comes to those big international occasions. Um, but, you know, you've got to keep evolving as a, a nation. You've got to keep finding new players, and we have to do that. You know, we only used five bowlers in this whole competition, which when you think about it, that's quite rare. Over the course of a whole competition, to use just five bowlers when you're only allowed to use five in one match, we used the same five the whole way through. Um, and maybe, um, maybe we could have thought about that a, a little bit differently, tried something a, a little bit uh, differently as well. But the two players that we usually mess around with are our spinners, and our spinners, Sodi and Santner, were our two most effective bowlers in terms of economy rate in particular in this competition. I think they did their job pretty well. Yeah, they bowled magnificently throughout the Super 12 stage. And again, last night, keeping Pakistan quiet in those middle overs. Uh, you talk about uh, players stepping up. Well, one that's almost like a mature age recruit is uh, mm-hmm. dazzling Daryl Mitchell, be it as a test cricketer or as a, a T20 thrasher, unbeaten half-century last night. Something of a revelation. Two semifinals in a row he's made half-centuries. It seems like he's the man for all seasons for New Zealand cricket into the future. It, it, you give him a job and he does it. You know, uh, but remember back to the last uh, T20 World Cup in the UAE, uh, he opened the batting and batted through on him on a couple of occasions. So you, you just give him a role within the side and he will uh, adapt to that role. He, he, he did play well last night, um, but it was quite clear towards the end 
along with Jimmy Nation, when we needed to have one or two really, really big overs to get us 160 plus, 165 maybe, um, they couldn't do it. Uh, they weren't able to adjust to uh, the change of pace from Pakistan. You know, as much as I, I'm, you know, nailing us for our performance last night, I, I also have to give uh, credit where it's due to to, um, to Pakistan. I thought I thought they were magnificent. Their, their bowling throughout this competition has been outstanding. It's been their batting that's let them down. Um, and, you know, that pace attack and the, the variations they have, the ability to take the speed off the ball, and then the, the spin varieties with Sharab and Nawaz, etc. Uh, they are a complete unit, Pakistan, now. Uh, they've got a really good balance. They've got some heady, heady guys in their camp, haven't they? Look, Matthew Hayden knows exactly how to go about chasing runs. He knows how to bat in Australian conditions. And Sean Tate, who's not talked about that much, uh, but his, his ability to get the best out of this bowling attack is from Pakistan has been outstanding. I said right from the outset, when they snuck in the back door at Adelaide, once you give them a lifeline, uh, they could be the most dangerous team in the competition. And, 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 you know, having already gone close at the MCG in front of a packed house, they'll have learnt from that. Pakistan loom as a real danger to England or India. I promise you that. Ian Smith, cricket commentator, SENZ Mornings host. Uh, New Zealand out of the competition, but we'll hear you throughout the course of the next couple of days in the lead-up to the final. Thanks for joining us today on Colo and Baz's World Cup party. Yeah, absolutely, fellas. Enjoy the party. I'll stay listening. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Smithy. Brilliant, as always, reflecting on New Zealand. Seven-wicket loss to Pakistan last night. We're going to catch some news here, take a break on our party. When we return, on the other side of it, Sam Perry from The Great Cricketer. This is in the citizenship Oh, magnificent, Baz. Come on, Aussie, come on, come on. <laughs> Come on, Aussie, come on. Come on, Aussie, come on. It's the World Cup party here in the City of Churches. Adam Collins with you, Brett Sunderason with me. I, I just whispered then that'll be on the citizenship test, Brett. <laughs> You're not far away from becoming a citizen, and after that, only national living treasure ahead of you. Uh, we promised at the start of the show there will be talkback. 1300 736 736. Give us a call. Thanks to Werribee Kia and 0433 98 11 16 to ping us a text on the 40 Winks Temper text machine. A few messages coming in here. One uh, which has is it's nameless. Try and send your name if you can. Your suburb, better still. Uh, lads, great show. I can't see Kane Williamson remaining in the New Zealand T20 program. Mm-hmm. A runner ball doesn't cut it. Bloke can bat, but not at this level. It does feel like in the last three weeks, Baz, we've moved away from the era of the anchor. We have. Uh, and I think we moved on to the glue player. I think the conditions have dictated that you need one batter who can bat through, but it needs to be a batter who can change gears. And unfortunately for Kane Williamson, he's not been able to do that. Virat Kohli came in for a lot of criticism going into this tournament, but he somehow developed that extra gear. He always had it, but he's, we've seen him display that. And that's the big difference, I think, between a Williamson and a Kohli. And Mike's dropped us a line saying, the simple fact is Pakistan's first five overs of the match was superb and New Zealand never recovered. That's what they can do when they can deploy those fast bowlers. They're, they're unrelenting up top. Oh, and they can continue and they'll keep coming at you. And such, we spoke about the variety. Shaheen will swing the ball. He'll be full. Hardestroff will smash the ball into the pitch. Nasim Shah can do both. 
And Mohamed Wasim Jr. has been quite the surprise package. He can bowl Yorkers, he's quick, he's got great change of uh, pace, and he can hold his nerve in different situations during the game. And you can't, you know, you have to talk about their spinners as well. They played a big role in it. I think you'll like this one. You can't underestimate the impact Matty Hayden has had on the Pakistan team. And his work with Barbara Azam during the week definitely paid off. He's been a big presence in this Pakistan side, both at last year's World Cup when they unexpectedly made it through to the semi-finals. They're a bit of a rabble beforehand. Mm. In came Haydos, they make it to the final four. And this year through to the final, uh, he, he's a man of, uh, well, he's got a lot of opinions and he's got a lot of experience and, and it seems to work with this group. He's a big presence everywhere. The other day I saw him on Rundle Street here in Adelaide and he, he made Adelaide feel even smaller than it is <laughs> just by his presence. No, you're right. And just seeing him in the dugout and he's, he's got that inspirational energy around him, doesn't he? And often when you have Pakistan teams not doing well in World Cups, it's not so much to do with skill or talent. It's because of temperament. And what Matthew Hayden has done, he's really developed a lot of belief in that dressing room. And you saw it last year after, you know, they won games, they beat India. You saw it again after they lost to India, where they're just asking them, the others, the players, the younger players, to stay grounded and to keep their eyes on the job and on the goal and ahead of them. And that's what has worked out. And to see him jumping up and down in that green cap, which barely fits his head, is quite a sight. I love this text here from Reda from Montmorency. This will mean nothing to you. Are you bringing back the little Spanish Felice song uh, for the quiz ladder today? That's how it used to be. Probably not, although uh, we might work our magic when mm. the news is on later and see if we can have some kind of intro. Now, Basilenko, your beauty, maybe. That'll we'll be able to patch something together uh, behind the scenes. Uh, we've got a caller coming through here. Why don't we take that before we take a break and get Let's to Sam Perry? Uh, here's Brett from St Albans. Question for you, Brett. Ooh. Hello, Brett. Yeah, g'day, guys. Hey, Baz, why, why aren't uh, players picked for their, in the actual positions that they're best in in T20 cricket, especially for Australia? So you've got Marcus Stoinis, who dominates as an opener for the Stars, and then you had Glenn Maxwell, who made his highest ever score, or the highest big bash uh, score ever as an opener, but he's never been trialled as an opener. You reckon he could get a new lease of life in that role, m- maybe going forward for Australia? They've they've trialled Cam Green and they've trialled they've trialled Ben McDermott. Um, what do you think? I'm not saying you have to go with both of them as openers, but possibly possibly one of them. And it's not like just don't see it happening in Australia. So even Matthew Wade, he's in at number seven, but he opens for for, Taz, for the mm. Hobart Hurricanes. Yeah, yeah, Brett, uh, be still my beating heart. Max, you to open on a T20 side. Baz, what do you reckon? That's a great question, Brett. And you know, it's an que- issue that other teams around the world face as well. Because you have players playing different roles and doing it really well in all these different leagues. But because international cricket, I think T20 cricket hasn't evolved to, the, to that extent. It is happening. It's happening with some of the other teams which are doing well. Where... You're not picking players based on what they're good at when they actually play T20 cricket, but it's more about how they fit into your T20i side. I think that's been a problem for Australia and it's hurt them this time. Look, everything fell into place for them last year and they went on to win the World Cup. And Whatever they tried this time, whether it's batting positions or getting the likes of Tim David in, nothing worked out and right through into that last game against Afghanistan. And you're, look, with Aaron Finch now, you'd expect him to move on or Australia to move on from him in T20i cricket. Glenn Maxwell as opener for the next three years sounds like a very exciting prospect to me. Uh, Brett, that's a timely question. After the break, we're going to have Sam Perry from the Grey Cricketer joining us to talk all things Australia. It's the Collo and Baz World Cup party here in Adelaide. Back in a moment. 
It's the Colour and Baz World Cup party here in Adelaide. In for Dwayne Russell on SEN Afternoons. 1300 736 736. Give us a call. Thanks to Werribee Kia and 0433981116 to send us a text on the 40 Winks Temper text machine. Brats under Asin. We have got Sam Perry joining us from the Great Cricketer Podcast to talk all things Australian after the Aussies were bundled out at the Super 12 stage, not winning by enough against Afghanistan in the end. G'day, Pez. Boys, what an honour to be on with you both. Oh, mate, I, oh. I, I feel the very same. I mean, let, let, let's get straight into our into our work, though. Uh, I, I would indulge that ordinarily, but we're limited for time today. Uh, the response to Australia not winning by enough, that's what it effectively amounts to, losing one game against New Zealand. It's been considerable, more than I thought it might be, indeed. It, it feels like it's almost a referendum on whether the Australian side's still in love, or the Australian public, rather, mm. are still in love with the team or not. Well, it makes sense to me, Colo. Like when Australia underperforms on the big stage, it's only natural that people want to examine the reasons why. I think that's a healthy thing. I think Cricket Australia should be mm. buoyed that people still care. Um, but, but I just think the tenor of the conversation and the narrowness of it uh, has been a little bit concerning as well. And I actually think it misses an opportunity to properly examine some of the more systemic and structural reasons that have explained why both the team struggled on field, but I think more concerningly, the public has had a lukewarm response to to what has otherwise been an unbelievably good tournament. Yeah, that's right. I mean, attendances are, are a blunt measure mm. of that, but it hasn't been the same when Australia have played compared to what we might have expected coming in. Dan Bredig wrote a great piece in The Age yesterday, tracking back over all of this. And the, the Justin Langer factor looms large. I don't know for you, Sam, but certainly in, in my Twitter comments, for example, yeah, as a, again, as a as a bit of a litmus test on this. Whenever Australia lose, a lot of the commentary comes back to, well, they shouldn't have sacked JL. Yes, it does. Sorry, I just took a moment there to, to take that in. Like, um, I've got no doubt for some people uh, that that is true. Uh, but I think the public has been underserved by a lot of the commentary that's focused on that too much. Uh, I think there are a lot of ex-players who are running every single problem of Australian cricket through that prism. And I think it's quite superficial. Um, It barely scrapes the surface. It may be a factor for some people. They may want to see some of the greats of the game involved in the Australian team. It may help them feel safe. But I also think the Australian public deserve commentary that might note things like the public being asked to pay $100 or more for the cheapest seats of an at an Australian game at a time mm. of inflation and when people are squeezed. I think that the public deserve to hear commentary that notes that the white ball team's been behind a paywall for four years. We've barely had a mm. chance to connect mm. with them um, due to that point. It very much excludes casual fans. Uh, I think the public are enduring deeply confusing evolution of cricket with too many formats, with too much on, plus this tournament was out of season. It doesn't mean that Um, questions around the involvement of greats in Australian cricket shouldn't be raised, but I do feel like it has been disproportionately raised. And I have to say, um, sorry to sound too serious here because maybe you wanted some comedy, but it does feel like a little (laughs) bit of a petty square up to me. And I Mm. I don't, I think the public deserve better uh, than that, um, than that single minded focus. It may be a factor, but there are many others explaining why there are a few people at the game and why the team underperformed. Sam, you, I agree with everything you just said there. But Cricket Australia, are they even catering to the right audience at the moment? You speak about people taking umbrage to how the Justin Langer situation played out 
in my logic, having lived here for a few years now and seeing how sport gets consumed here, especially cricket, when it's not seasoned, is a lot of people who actually still watch cricket or who cricket was still cater to, grew up watching the Gilchrists and the Langers and the Haydens and that era. So suddenly you have those people saying what they are saying about the current team or just even going back to the Langer situation. And it almost feels like those people are just reacting to that. I mean, they feel slighted when a Justin Langer or a Gilchrist gets slighted. And are the younger fans even being brought into the game as much as they should? <laughs> I, I think that society as a whole, Bharat, is being um, siloed into uh, different bubbles of thought all the time. I mean, the dear listeners of this program um, and, and this station probably hear from a certain segment of people all the time, and then young people may be consuming completely different uh, media that tells them different things about what's actually happening out there. Look, I, I have sympathy for the idea that many people would like the greats of the game involved in the Australian team. Like, it, it, it has a certain logic to it. They were the best to ever play the game, so let's keep mm-hmm. them involved in the current team. Uh, that, that, that makes complete sense to me. But, um, uh, you know, we went through this last year. Justin Langer's record was patchy. That's a fact. Uh, he may help people feel safe, but the team did not perform well under him. They have since performed quite well without him. They're the number one test nation in the world. They beat Pakistan overseas. People seem to forget that now. This tournament is quite fickle. The team that's most likely to win the competition now, Pakistan, also the only team in the final, so that helps. Uh, <laughs> they lost to Zimbabwe. They lost two games. Mm. Uh, they they yep. required the Netherlands to beat South Africa to actually make it. Australia lost fewer games than that. It's quite a fickle competition. Australia may have limped in to these semifinals uh, and we may not be having this conversation. Maybe in the long term, this is actually a good thing because I think the broader macro issue in Australian cricket is whether the public is being brought along with this journey mm. of T20 cricket and the future of the format. Yeah, I think that's a great point. We've got Sam Perry with us uh, from the Great Cricketer. When you were talking before about former players coming in and it's just fundamentally being a different world now, I'm reminded that that quote, you know, the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. I mean, so it is for the Australian players back in, in that generation yeah. in the 90s. It wasn't a an eight days a week existence on the mm. circuit. Glenn Maxwell spoke after the Afghanistan game about just how taxing the schedule is and it doesn't afford you the chance to reflect too much. You've got to look forward. I mean, they're playing a one-day international mm. here in Adelaide this time next week. There's no... If you were dwelling on what's just happened, you'd be doing your team and yourself a disservice. And so it is for a modern cricketer. That is quite different to the experience we had or they had in the 90s and the 2000s where they played test cricket in a home summer, a handful of one-dayers, a couple of winter tours... And that was their lot. And that was a much healthier balance, probably. Mm. Uh, Like, uh, I try and have empathy for all perspectives. Like, I understand why Aaron Finch's comment about the team being tired may have been on the nose with a lot of the public who themselves may be struggling and they look at cricketers who are making a lot of money. And I think it's true Aaron Finch was tired and you were allowed to ask the question... Why are you guys tired? Don't you guys have your workloads managed within an inch of its life? What's gone wrong there? Like, I think that's a valid criticism. But I also think there's this overarching criticism of young people generally being soft and not as hard as their forebears. And mm. I think that mm. that doesn't stand up to fact. These guys play so much cricket. They are mentally exhausted. Glenn Maxwell gave a candid comment. We're asking, we're asking people in the media to be honest with us all the time. Yep. He's just talking about a way that he copes with cricket around it. And I think that... A lot of people would do well to empathise with young people and, um, and their lot. I don't think he has any reason 
to um, uh, to be defensive or to um, or, or to misguide people around how the team actually feels. And just looking forward now, Sam, that one-day series against England and test series against West Indies, which is not getting anyone really excited. Uh, and then, yeah, maybe there will be some excitement around that South Africa series, especially with a few books written, which will bring back some, <laughs> you know, mm. news from a few years ago. Uh, where does the Australian summer go from here? I mean, will, do you think it'll generate enough interest? I mean, I've been telling people that in Australia, they don't start thinking about cricket till the time they start wearing thongs on their feet anyway. And so, <laughs> so how does this summer play out in front of you? It's, you're totally right. I think the World Cup has revealed how deeply seasonal a game cricket is in Australia as well. You know, we don't really get out of bed for it, as you say, until we have our thongs on and we can smell the jasmine in the air. And there's been so much rain around. It just hasn't felt like cricket season at all. I think Cricket Australia has a big issue on their hands in terms of um, drumming up interest in the summer, especially against a lot of the other things that kind of take up people's attention these days. I think that's the main question to arise out of the World Cup. Uh, if I knew the answer to it, Barat, maybe Cricket Australia would hire me, <laughs> to which I would say no um, respectfully. But, but, but I, I, don't, I don't have the answer to these things. But I do think cricket has a lot of existential questions in Australia. How do you invest the public and engage the public in this new format where there are so many confusing different teams and players playing for different teams uh, when everyone's got their own life to live. Like, I, I tell you what, though, the answer isn't put Justin Langer and Matthew Hayden among the team. Um, that may be for some the answer, but it's far more complicated than that. And I think the public deserve a more thorough examination from its current commentariat on those questions. Uh, Sam Perry, outstanding balanced analysis as mm. always. Thanks for joining us on the Colo and Baz World Cup party. We'll uh, doubtless see you soon. Uh, we're going to take a break. On the other side of it, uh, we're going to hear. We got him. We got him. Ooh. The great Harsha Bogle is going to be on the other end of the line. Keep your text coming in. 0433981116. Well, we said we were going to overpromise and hopefully mm-hmm. not underdeliver, Brett, when we started the Colo and Baz World Cup party at the start of the program. A big part of that was could we get. Harsha Bogley, either to the studio or on the line. We have got him on the line now, the voice of cricket, part of the ICC commentary panel for this World Cup. Harsha, great to have you back on SEN. Hello. Pleasure, pleasure. Just as well, this is radio, because I can't quite match either your sartorial style or Bharat's. <laughs> Ever so kind, Harsha. I, I remember you, you've said many times over the years <laughs> that India don't play away games. No matter where you go around the world, it's a sea of blue. So it is in Adelaide this morning. Indian supporters everywhere. They have been so well represented across the last two weeks. I mean, the last time I came to Adelaide for for a World Cup game was back in 2015. Adam, you'd remember India played Pakistan Mm. in Adelaide. And there was no way you could go out on the streets because they were absolutely jam-packed. And it looked as if Adelaide was a suburb of either Mumbai or Karachi. And it was it was that act. I was told that the closest room available was 70 kilometers away or something like that. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. It's not quite India, Pakistan. It's India, England. So I, I wonder if there'll be reasonable England representation here. But you're absolutely right. Every game that India plays in a World Cup tournament is a home game. Uh, may it's not be, be in terms of conditions, but in terms of people watching. <laughs> Although it will be a used pitch tonight, that might help. Uh... One, Ravichandra and Ashwin, we'll see. Uh, you've said a lot over the years as well that you adore this city. You love being in Adelaide. You first came here back in the summer of 1991-92. It must have changed a lot since then, but a city that means a lot to you and Indian cricket. Amber at Collie. 
I must be getting on because people keep reminding me of how often I come to Australia. Yes, I first came in 91, 92. Azuruddin scored an incredible 100 in a test match where he hadn't scored a run in the rest of the World Cup. And then we came back here for, for a, I think there's a World Cup game against Australia. But Adelaide as a city, I don't think it's changed much. Yes, you realize when you walk to the ground, which is one of the great walks, as I keep saying, there's, there's now this walkway and the Adelaide Oval looks completely different from what it did with all those sails coming up on, on either side and the names of the footy players, uh, which, which of course are names that are, that are foreign to us. The Adelaide Oval is looking different, but it's looking as good. It's almost like someone's got a makeover, looked, looked good-looking before and good-looking after the makeover, as you will, Adam, after your makeover, but we won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I, it, it's it's still a very very good part of the world to play cricket. Yeah, well, makeovers. I thought you were talking about me, Hasha, but uh, you now know. A thing no, you just need a haircut. Hello, mom. Uh, but uh, you also know a thing or two about the Adelaide Hills. After uh, when did we go there? A couple of nights ago. So I'm glad uh, yes. we got to see the yes. scenes and uh, yeah, get a bit of the country air. But look, uh, Harsha, with India at this World Cup, as we all know, they haven't won this thing since the IPL started. And now you have someone who's won five IPL titles as captain in charge. Could, is this India's time? I mean, once you get to a knockout stage, brothers, both of you know very well, it requires one moment of inspiration for something to happen. I mean, you, matches can be set up very early. Shaina Afridi gets Finn Allen, LBW third mall. The match is set up there. So when you get to a big final, a small performance can change things. Um, for example, I think, look at, look at England, New Zealand last time, where uh, Jimmy Neesham played that little cameo that turned the game. I know Mitchell did well with Neesham's cameo. It was Wade's cameo in Australia versus Pakistan. So a little performance can change things, and both teams have the players to do it. I've just been going through the number of balls each batter's faced, and it's, it's, it's amazing once you cross number four how little... They've actually played. India's designated mm. finisher, Dinesh Karthik, played 22 balls. So it's amazing how little they've played. Liam Livingston's played 40 balls. Moin Ali's played 30 balls. So mm. actually, it's a small tournament. We, get, we, we watch a lot of the IPL, but that's 14 games. You can play very well in game 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. You don't get a game 6 sometimes here. And with the rain, a lot of teams have actually been undercooked. So it's actually a very small tournament. Uh, a couple of players you've already mentioned, Bharat and Harsha, uh, Rohit Sharma and Dinesh Kartik, they were both part of that 2007 side. Nice through line between that. Eight World Cups later, they're still here, of course. They won then. That was the catalyst for the IPL. And we expect that Dinesh Kartik will play tonight instead of Rishabh Pant. Is that the mail you're getting as well, Harsha? Uh, I, I don't know because I think if you look, if you look at matchups, the matchups for Rishabh Pant in T20 aren't great, but if you want to look at somebody to dominate the middle overs against England's big middle over strength, which is Adil Rashid, then you want the left-hander with a slightly shortish square boundaries. Well, he doesn't go that square uh, when he's hitting well. He, he tends to go straighter. Then they might prefer someone like Rishabh Pant. But Dinesh Karthik's only played 22 balls, of which I think 15 were in a situation where India had lost a lot of wickets and so he had to play himself in and there was a run-out. So really, in terms of data points, there's not enough data points for either person. So I think it will be a gut call whether you play Dinesh Karthik or you play Rishabh Pant. 
But yeah, Dinesh Karthik was what another match in 2006. It was India's first T20 game. Rohit Sharma played in 2007. He hasn't had a big tournament actually, Rohit, in the power play strike rate under a hundred. If Rohit gets going, I think I think the whole dynamic of the game changes. One guy who's really captured the imagination of the Australian public and I think world cricket in the last couple of weeks, Harsha, is uh, Surya Kumar Yadav. And I remember, I thought he would be playing for India in 2014. Everybody in Mumbai did. Uh, but he's taken his time. And in a way, he's he's a pioneer, right? Very rarely do you see Indians making their debut after turning 30 and turning into overnight sensations. Uh, what have you made of him? And what is the ceiling? You know, I don't know if he took his time or life through him cards that made him uh, require that much time because it's difficult to see. When you meet when you meet Surya now, and I know him pretty well, you see someone who's calm, someone who's pleasant. You have to be calm to be able to unleash that kind of violence. Violent minds cannot unleash violence on the ground. We always keep talking about calm minds and violent bodies uh, when you're playing when you're playing sport. But he's changed, and I think. He's making up for lost time, Bharat, so quickly. You, you were in Mumbai. You, you know his background a little better than I do. And now he's 32. The one thing I will say about Sky, though, on, on, a, on a lighter note, I think he's got to train very hard in the gym because every time he does well, his wife bakes a cake for him. It's, 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 it's an old story. What I'm, ama- what I'm amazed by is his range. And I think something that's not talked about enough is his offside play. I think it is his offside play that is actually making the leg side play so dangerous because people are now packing the leg side because they're worried about that. And so he can go through the offside. He, he hits over cover better than almost anybody else in the game at the moment. So there isn't a place on the ground to stop him. Maybe spin at some point, maybe slower bowlers early on, maybe extreme pace early on, or just say, look, he's at such a great tournament. He's going to fail. He's going to fail one day, but he is in the form of his life. And he has got to, uh, Adam Bharat, he's got to be seeing the ball that much earlier because you cannot play those kind of shots without them being predetermined. So in his mind, I think he just says, if it's here, I've got one, two, three. If it's here, I've got one, two, three. But the mind has got to work that quickly. And with the shortest leg side boundaries, I mean, no one plays that shot on the onside better than he does. When he was at KKR, he was a 15-ball finisher playing that shot. But now he's yeah, opened I mean, up yeah. the entire game. And if you talk to people from England uh, who saw him score that 100 in one of the T20 games mm. in England, he was hitting sixes over point with risky shots, not slashes. So yeah, he's, he's just in the peak of his father, Vision Vale. Sorry, Hasha. They're staggering numbers. The fact that in this World Cup, he's striking at 194. Interested to hear Rohit Sharma's commentary uh, on his IPL teammate yesterday saying that um, he likes bigger grounds mm. because in his mind that gives him more gaps. He's not thinking about the short boundary square at Adelaide, although not as short as when you first mm. started coming here, Harsha, it must be said, after the ground was reconfigured. But nevertheless, he likes bigger grounds because it provides him with more opportunities through the offside of the ground. You don't often hear that from T20 specialists. And it's a very valid point because in India, we tend to play T20 cricket a lot on shortage ground. So the three, for example, is an extinct creature in, in Indian T20 cricket. Now, suddenly here, you're running threes, you're running twos. We're talking, I know we're talking Sky, but it's brought Virat Kohli into the tournament too. But you're absolutely spot on because now if you see the distances between the boundary riders, those distances are much bigger. So if you hit the spaces between them and you time the ball as well as he's doing, then... You it, it, it's more profitable. I mean, the flip side is if there's if, if the boundaries are shorter, you reach the boundaries quicker. But I can see what what Sky is saying. But it's an interesting thought, given that he's the biggest six hitter uh, almost in the tournament.
uh, Harsha, England are being looked at as potential party poopers if they end up winning and they have a very strong side up and down the order. Uh, are the stars aligned? Are we headed for another India-Pakistan final? What's your gut saying? Ah, India have got a very good head-to-head record against England and I think England will miss two key players. Mark Wood, definitely. I think England's bowling is built around Karan, Rashid and Wood. And Karan has been the big surprise factor at, at the back. So it must be said, India's batsmen have a very good head-to-head record against Karan. Almost everybody does, except Rahul. But I think they'll miss Mark Wood. I, the, the contest I was looking forward to, guys, to be honest, was Mark Wood versus Sky. Whether the extra pace would help Sky or whether it would produce, induce the message. So if Mark Wood doesn't play... That's a big call, whether they replace him with a left-hander like Willie because left-handers have had good records against India or like Jordan. But you know what? I think they'll miss David Milan. He's, it, it's very fashionable to write off David Milan in, in English cricket circles. But, but I think he's done the hard yards. And you know, in games like these, you're seeing 157 is, is a good enough score, 160 is a good enough score. I think Milan is very good in those matches when he starts hitting through the offside. He's excellent. But you know how it is, guys. It's, Sometimes it's just it's unfashionable to be David Milan, but I think they're going to miss him. No sure thing uh, that David Milan will be, be fit tonight. It's still touch and go. We're yet to hear formally uh, from the England camp. Harsha Bogley, absolutely wonderful to have you back on SEN, uh, the voice of Indian cricket. Hopefully we can talk again soon. Pleasure. Look forward to it. All right, we're going to go to a break uh, on the Colo and Baz World Cup party. Uh, soon we'll be talking to Zainab Abbas about Pakistan's victory last night. Then we'll look ahead to the England perspective, their semi-final tonight against India. It's the Colo and Baz World Cup party here in Adelaide. Adam Collins and Virat Sundarayson with you. We've got lots of texts coming in, 0433. And 98, 11, 16. Here's one I like, though, Baz. Barat Sundarayson hosting lunch on SEN. The man with the crazy shirts and the silky long hair. He's taking over, and I'm all for it. And interviewing the king of commentary, Harsha Bogle. That's Simo from Preston. He loves your work. Oh, thank you, Simo, you kind, kind man. There, there are, opinions are divided, you could say, in our interview before with Sam Perry. And the perspective offered from him on the Australian cricket team will come to them uh, after our next guest. We just did have Harsha Bogle, the voice of Indian cricket, with us. Next up, Zainab Abbas, who is a, a Pakistani presenter, broadcaster, and she's a bloody star. Zainab, welcome to SEN. Uh, it's the Kolo and Baz World Cup party. Uh, how are you enjoying the afterglow of Pakistan's famous victory against New Zealand last night at the Sydney Cricket Ground? Uh, thank you so much for having me. I think I've kind of lost my voice after last night. <laughs> it's a bit croaky, so please do excuse me um, if it sounds a bit croaky. But um, yeah, I think uh, amazing night um, just in terms of the atmosphere. Uh, anybody who was there knew that it was absolutely electrifying. Um, uh, sad to say, I don't think there were many Kiwis around because there was a sea of green um, <laughs> that, that we found over there and literally everybody singing Lil Lil Pakistan and, and obviously to top it off, Pakistan actually ended up winning the game. So I feel like uh, it was a great night and uh, really a, a semi-final stage like this deserves, um, you know, a, a spectacle like this. So uh, really that, happy, obviously, for Pakistan. Yeah, Absolutely, <clears throat> they'll be in the final. Uh, on Sunday at the MCG, Zaino, before we get into the important stuff, the cricket itself, uh, you talk about the, the sea of green, everyone dressed up last night. I have very great memories of you being in Australia before wearing a Hawthorne <laughs> jumper at a Christmas party. So you, you, you love these parts. Oh well, I was just going by whatever you're telling me. I have no idea about <laughs> Hawthorne or anybody else. I was just being a loyal friend towards you. 
Um, so yeah, that that's how it all started. But uh, right now, I'm wearing my Pakistan jersey because I'm here for that. Yeah. And why wouldn't you? It's got that 1992 energy. Everyone's saying it, but not unreasonably, given how close the Pakistani side were to exiting the competition. Final ball loss against India at the G. Last ball loss against Zimbabwe in Perth unexpectedly. They were gone. Matt Hayden spoke uh, yesterday. Robert Craddock had a piece in the paper about them going to Rottnest Island the day after that loss and regrouping. And ever since, they've been been outstanding. Yeah, I think... um... You know, Pakistan, if you look at last year, uh, they peaked way too early. Uh, they were winning back-to-back games. They won their game against India by 10 wickets. Um, and then they beat New Zealand, they beat Afghanistan, and they eventually lost in the semifinals to the defending champions, Australia. So there is a thing called peaking too early. I, I felt like they peaked a bit too early. Right now, I feel Pakistan is peaking just at the right time. Um, they've somehow found their way in into the semifinals. Uh, they've had three good games uh, on the trot. The first one was uh, against South Africa, which possessed a very good bowling attack. Um, and then it was uh, obviously Bangladesh, and now it's been New Zealand. So I feel like um, what Matty Hayden said was absolutely correct. When Pakistan has its back against the wall, they are one of the most dangerous sides to face. And he pretty much knew that. And, and I have covered so much Pakistan cricket over the years that I know that that holds true. It was the same in the Champions Trophy final against India, the Pakistan one in 2017, down and out, and then sort of picked up momentum. So it's, a, it's very much a team that rides on momentum. And I feel the momentum is with them at this point of time, uh, which is why they're going to be extremely dangerous. Of course, any result is possible. But I can tell you that the morale is extremely high at this point of time. Adam, you just missed out on one thing in uh, your introduction of Zainab. We went from the voice of Indian cricket to the face of Pakistan cricket. You think Pakistan cricket, and for a lot of people, the first face that jumps to mind is Zainab. You should have seen the number of pictures <laughs> I had to take of Zainab because all these Pakistan fans <laughs> wanted to pose with her at the Adelaide Oval. Hey, Zainab, just just one question for you. I've been watching Pakistan cricket since I was a little child, India-Pakistan, during the 90s and 2000s. Do, do insurance policies in Pakistan come with special exemptions for heart ailments caused by the Pakistan cricket team? There must be many of those. <laughs> Um, I wish there were. There should be, actually. That's actually a good point because this team is not for the faint-hearted. I can tell you that. Um, you have to be really strong because it's always an emotional roller coaster ride with them. They never have it easy. They never want their fans to have it easy. They always uh, do stuff which keeps you sort of air, you know, on the edge of the seat. And I can tell you that there were lots of Pakistanis that I would say even four days back were saying, all right, how should we book our tickets back home? <laughs> you know, how should we, which, which airline should we use? Literally, this was all the discussion around it. And there were people that had flown in from the United States of America. I met a lot of fans who had just flown in specifically to follow the team around. And they were really upset. And they're like, oh, now we're thinking we'll just have a holiday in Australia. This very So, and all of a sudden, you make it to the semifinals and my phone starts going crazy. Can we have a ticket? Can we have a ticket? Do you have a pass? And I'm like, I had to put up, and I was like, I do not have any tickets. You know, we, we kind of snuck through the back door. And um, so, I mean, that is the kind of, um, they, it's an exciting team. Whether they're, they're, whether they're good on the field or they're bad on the field, whether they're impressive or unimpressive, one thing that you can never 
uh, rule out with Pakistan cricket is that they are an exciting team and they will never, never bore you. So <laughs> that that that's the one thing that I guess keeps all of us, even the faint-hearted, hooked on to it because there is a certain charm and charisma that comes with playing an exciting brand of cricket, which is basically uh, goes from one extreme to the other. And you're right about the travel plans. At least one famous Pakistani commenter, commentator on this tour uh, did tell me that he got into trouble with his wife back home because I think after the Zimbabwe loss, he told her he'd be coming home soon. But clearly, <laughs> he's had to extend his trip by a week. You know who I'm talking about, Zainab. But no, I mean, there are so many... You look at that bowling attack. Everybody's a star. But just Naseem Shah, he was this young, tearaway 16-year-old who came here four years ago, Zainab... Uh, and, you know, there were such expectations mm. from him, but he's come back as this white ball phenom. So, I think, uh, you know, if you go by his performance just, just last night, um, that last over that he bowled was literally the difference between a 153 or a 165, really. Um, and, and, and that is a huge, um, you know, it's just a psychological uh, barrier that is there if you're crossing that 160 mark on, on that wicket. I feel Naseem has really evolved in the last few years. He's really uh, become mature. Um, he's still extremely young and extremely talented. Not only does he have pace, he's able to swing the ball. Um, he's got the right kind of variations that you require in this format. He can bowl some good cutters. He's just very accurate. And the fact that, like I said, he hardly gave away anything in that last over, I think that really was the difference because remember, New Zealand had still got six wickets in hand. Um, they still had players um, uh, on the crease that could sort of, um, uh, you know, do something for New Zealand or make a respectable uh, a total. So for Pakistan, it was extremely important to be extremely disciplined in that um, last over, and that's what you saw from from Naseem Shah. So. I just feel he's extremely exciting. He's just another guy in the pace battery of Pakistan, which Pakistan is very blessed to have. Um, and he's got time on his hands. He's got age on his hands. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was just absolutely uh, incredible to be able to restrict. Um, I mean, he didn't go for a single boundary in that last over. Mm. So, mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he was brilliant. There's such an emphasis on the four Pakistani quicks, as you'd expect, given how effective they've been through the tournament and beyond. But the, the scrutiny coming into the tournament was on Pakistan's batting. 55% of their runs coming from Barbara Azam and Mohammad Rizwan. When they weren't firing at the start of the tournament, there were understandably some concerns. But they've clicked at the right time. They put on 105 last night. And two men who've been at the top of the world rankings at different times, they were, they were positively clinical, uh, putting on that big partnership and making sure New Zealand wouldn't have a hope. Yeah, I think, you know, um, coming into this tournament, Pakistan was in all kinds of uh, chaos. But that is the typical way that they enter any tournament, I would say. You look back <laughs> to all the tournaments, uh, coming into any World Cup, it's always, uh, you know, it's everything's in a disarray. Uh, there's no middle order. There's no, no, there's no set combination. Because I can tell you that we were coming into this World Cup without a middle order. So, I mean, if you ask me who's going to be your number three, number four, number five, I can give you five, six different names. It could be Shah, it could be Fakar, it could be Kushtal Shah, it could be... They were trying different combinations against England in Pakistan. And, 
you know, it, it was just a case of uh, hit or, or miss. You know, there was no real, there's no real method to that madness that you were seeing at that point of time. So, um, like I said, it's just a team that kind of drives on that momentum. But I feel for me, the biggest game changer for Pakistan in that batting lineup has been Muhammad Haris. Um, mm. I feel he is exactly what Pakistan required. You know, there was a lot of criticism coming into this, uh, into this, uh, into this tournament that Pakistan's openers, you know, a lot of discussions around their strike rate, that they're not working, they're playing too slowly, they're playing at a hundred strike rate, they're playing at a runner ball, and you know, it adds too much pressure. Uh, Babel was unable to deliver because there were all kinds of explanations going around on, 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 on social media and everybody everywhere mm-hmm. else that it's Rizman who's putting pressure on him and he's batting too slowly from the other end and you know maybe they should have so there were lots of there was a lot of talk around it. But what I like about Muhammad Haris is that he's just come and changed the dynamic and I, I actually feel that he's sort of inspired the openers as well to some level to play freely, which is why you got to see what you got to see last night. Um, that this was the best power play of Pakistan. You know, they were going for the boundaries. They were attacking a little bit more. Because in that game uh, against South Africa, when Fakhar Zaman was injured and Mohammad Harris was sent one down, um, he came with that approach where he really wanted to sort of, he showed that intent that Pakistan was looking for. He's able to clear the caps. He's able to take the aerial route. He's able to take, you know, he's able to play the short ball well. I've seen him pull the ball um, in, into the over the boundary for sixes, um, and that's been a problem of Pakistan. You know, they've not been the best players of the short ball. I've seen him just make room for himself and, you know, just play the T20 brand of cricket that we're talking about. Um, he might have uh, scored like 20 and 11 or whatever. So I feel, for me, he is the game changer for Pakistan. I love this text coming in on the temper text line for 40 winks. So four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Could you say that Pakistan out of cricket as Brazil out of football? That's mm. Moza in Cobden with that volatility uh, you're referring to there. Um, speaking of Mohammed Nawaz, who <sighs> I mean, you think about the pressure on a guy who bowled the last over at the MCG, ninety thousand people. Obviously, doesn't come off. It goes terribly, terribly wrong. Then. Next up against Zimbabwe, he was part of that <laughs> final over calamitous finish as well. To recover the way that he has, Zainab, it shows a fair bit of character. He's still very much in that first choice 11. He'll be playing at the MCG on Sunday. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. See, uh, Nawaz is also a, a, a three-dimensional player because he's very good in the field. Um, he offers you a bit of spin bowling, which is actually, uh, you know, he's not a part-timer. He's a proper spinner. So, um, I wouldn't. I would not call him a part-timer. He's somebody who bowls really well in the PSL for Quetta Gladiators, um, and is actually the backbone of their bowling. Um, and then with the bat, we we've seen what he can do because if you look back to the Asia Cup, recently concluded Asia Cup, he was promoted to that number three spot, and he ended up winning that game against India when Pakistan were down and out. Um, and he's again, you know, the fact that Pakistan has an option of a left-handed batsman in their uh, in their lineup and somebody who can bowl a bit of spin. I feel like that last over is not really a reflection of the kind of player he is because, like you rightly said, you know, you're bowling in front of uh, 90,000 people and then Rizwan sort of pushes back and asks him to bowl it 
different mode altogether um, you know medium pace i mean i just feel like mm. that is not really a reflection of the kind of player he is and what his value is to this team um i think he's a champion player he's a fighter and he will come through you know it it, it that was perhaps an aberration i would like to call i mean even stokes has gone for a lot of runs a lot of sixes in his <laughs> life in that one over that we remember <laughs> in the t20 world cup but then he look at what how he came back so I, I don't feel one off games define um you know the character of a player it's more about what you see other times and from whatever i've seen of him i think he's he's a utility player for pakistan Zainab Abbas, the tantalising prospect of a final at the MCG on Sunday between Pakistan and India. You must be so, so excited about that. Thanks for coming and have a chat with us today on Colo and Baz's World Cup Party. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to see you guys. We'll see you at the final. Uh, Baz, after the break, we're going to be taking some talk back. We promised it, so get yes, in your calls at 1-300-736-736. Give us a call. Uh, thanks to Werribee here. There'll be prizes. There'll also be prizes with the quiz mm. coming up in the final half an hour. Not far away now. Catch every ball of tonight's T20 World Cup semi-final between India and England live from the Adelaide Oval across the SCN network from 6.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. 6 p.m. local time. Here in South Australia, where Adam Collins and Brett Sunderason are situated in the Adelaide studio, mm. bottom of King William Street. Come and join us and wave through the window. It's been great to have some conversation with our Asian guests, Harsha Bogley and Zainab Abbas, uh, through the course of the last half an hour or so. After the next big break, we're going to have the England contingent joining us, some Fleet Street journos, yeah. commentator Daniel Norcross, to see things from their perspective ahead of their semi-final tonight against India. For now, though... Here comes Talkback. We promised it. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Tony, from East Bentley, tee off. Pleasure and an honour to speak to you. You are my favourites, Adam. I love listening to you from England during winter in Australia. Oh. And I just love you guys. And this show is just amazing. The question I'd like to ask is, in... Franchise cricket, there are usually one or two world-class bowlers per side. Yet in this World Cup, the top five, six sides have got four or five world-class bowlers. Why have players been trying to do reverse sweeps and dinky <laughs> shots over keepers? Like last night, Kane Williamson, when he got out, he should have put that ball over the stand on the leg side if he stood his ground. Why are they doing it against such world-class bowling and they should have known in semi the semi-final last night. It banned. Don't do it. Tony from East Bentley. Sure there's been more people. <laughs> oh, so, sorry, Adam. I'm sure there's been more people get out to these dinky shots than scoring fours and sixes during the World Cup. No, I, lo- I love your passion there, Tony from East Bentley, and your kind words. Uh, Baz, that's one for you. Yeah, you're on the money there, Tony. You're so right. In franchise cricket, you always have a couple of domestic bowlers who don't have that kind of experience who you can intimidate and put pressure on. Doesn't work out at this level. When you have a bowling attack like Pakistan, all of them are match winners. And that's where Kane Williamson was found out. And you could see in his reaction as well as he walked off. He was pointing a deep backward square leg after having tried to aim at final leg. All right. Uh, thank you, Tony. We're going to skip through a few of the texts we've got here before as well, uh, Barat. Then we're going to go to a break. Then we're going to return with the England pack, just working through this one piece at a time. So the conversation we had earlier with Sam Perry, Barat, was geared around the dissatisfaction around the Australian team. Mm. And Sam cited lethargy. And he's not just 
that's not just his perspective. That's yeah. what the players are saying to us, that they're playing around the calendar. And it is a different experience to what it was before, before the T20 era. And by that, I mean before bouncing around the yeah. world on, on the domestic T20 circuit, which they're doing to make a living to complement their Australian income. It's contested space, isn't it? Yeah, you can't blame the players. Look, uh, uh, if you and I can make the most of the choices we have in our industries, why shouldn't they? Uh, and you can't compare eras when it comes to opportunities and how the market's playing out. And you can't then point your finger at a modern-day player and say, oh, you shouldn't be tired or you should just be like saying no to all this big money you can get by playing elsewhere and just focus on Australia or whatever your national team is. I don't think it works out either. Uh, it, it's a changing landscape. The thing is moving every day. Um, and we'll see. Look, the new leagues are coming up at the start of next year. Things are going to look a very a lot different before the next T20 World Cup comes around. And in from Ben from Adelaide as well. We've already seen a Pakistan-India game. Uh, no need for another contest that won't live up to the first encounter. Pakistan versus England would be amazing 30 years after their last World Cup final in Melbourne. Adam Collins brought Sunday Racing in for Dwayne Russell today as the Colo and Baz World Cup party here in Adelaide ahead of the second semi-final between India and England live tonight at Adelaide Oval across the SCN network from half past six Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time and six o'clock local time. Jared Waitley will be on the call of myself. We'll have Damien Fleming on special comments and Chad Sayers, South Australia's own, uh, joining as the, as the second summariser as well. Of course, you can get your calls coming in. We're going to take some talk back in a moment. We've got prizes to give out. So one 736 736 Give us a call. Thanks to Werribee Kia. And you can win some prizes. You know, Citrus from Victoria is first mm. on the line. And he wants to talk about the Lion of Lahore. Citrus, take it away. G'day, uh, Hawkeye. Look, I uh, just want to know, is the Lion of Lahore coming out to the game? Or is that just a rumour I'm hearing? Uh, I, I hear that he might be on his way to Miljura first before he heads to Adelaide uh, Citrus. <laughs> have, we, have, have, have we read your voice correctly? Is this uh, Patrick Dangerfield's granddad? Uh, I think it might be. Uh, Bob, uh, no, the Lion of Lahore. Uh, no, not at all. Do not mention the war when you say that. Thank you, Adam. Look, no, really, uh, what I wanted to talk about, do you think the Pakistanis are getting ahead of themselves? You know, in, in football parlance, you know, sometimes, particularly in the finals, they've, a lot of teams play their grand final on the preliminary final day. I can recall a couple of teams doing that. Sydney this year <laughs> and GWS a couple of years ago. And they just fell flat in the final. Do you think this might uh, happen, Bharat? To keep it very local, Bob, all I say is the Norwood Redlegs peaked at the right time this time in the SANFL <laughs> final and won by a point. And that's that's the that's a better comparison with this Pakistan team. The, the Red Legs had up and down season till till the end, and they got into the business end of the the league of the season, and and they went all the way. And I think that's that's where Pakistan are at right now. They just everything seems to be falling into place for them. Shaheen Afridi uh, is in rhythm, is in great rhythm. Four wickets against Bangladesh, two wickets yesterday. Babar Azam's now got a half century. Mohammad Rizwan's got a half century. The inclusion of Mohammad Haris is they're just so dangerous up and down the order from one to eleven. So in my book, like I've said a few times already in this show, they go into that finals as favourite, just like the Red Legs did. Uh, thank you, Citrus Bob from Victoria. He said he wanted to talk about the line of Lahore. Not quite. We'll see you soon, I'm certain. The very fact, Brad, I think as well, that, that Pakistan were put into a situation where they had to win every game from the point they lost against Zimbabwe. There are similarities there to Australia mm. in 1999. They lose a couple early. They have to run the table. That can focus a side. 
Oh, very much can. And especially a team like Pakistan, who need that focus. And you heard what Zainab said as well. They, they are one of those teams that really ride on momentum. Even though they are a team which has players who can win them games on any given day, they need that feel about them. They are a very feel-based team. And I think that's what we've seen during this tournament. Of course, the Dutch did them a big favor. I saw a lot of posters yesterday at the SCG thanking the Netherlands. Uh, and, you know, we saw a lot of Pakistani flags waving, including a couple of Canadian ones when we were on, on air the other day uh, and South Africa lost to the Netherlands. They got lucky. So what? They played good cricket. They won three games. They beat South Africa. Don't forget. They thumped Bangladesh. And now they're absolutely seen off New Zealand to make their way to the final. We're going to take one more call on 1-300-736-736. Thanks to Werribee Kia. That's from Blackie in Doreen. Wants to talk about the Australian team. Hi, guys. How are you going? Enjoying the show? Hey, um, a lot of people are saying it was a bit of a flop uh, by the Australians in this tournament, but I don't actually look at it like that. I actually think them actually winning the last World Cup last year was an amazing feat. Because Australia, out of the mainstream cricket nations, are the ones who haven't taken this format seriously. The BBL is a second-rate domestic competition, and it's not helped because the Australian guys don't play it. But I still wonder how the hell we won the World Cup <laughs> the last tournament, because, as I said, that they're just not geared up to play this format. To take away the fact that they're probably tired and mentally not tuned in, they just, they just don't play the blokes don't play enough of it. You've got guys who don't play in the positions they they do. Um, you know, like Marcus Stoinis has made his name at the top of the order. He bats in the middle order. And when they had a chance later on in this tournament to put him up there, they didn't. The best thing I think that could happen to Australia is exactly what's happened. And if they want to take, and if they want to be a power at 2020 cricket, they just got to completely change uh, their focus. Pick blokes that are, are geared to to play it and everyone talks about the three bowlers they are the three best bowlers um you know if you look at overall at three formats they're not the three best bowlers at at that format there is no way mitchell stark and pat cummins are the best three bowlers in australia at that format they just aren't they just don't play enough of it and when they play they're no good at it either domestically or at international level. Josh Hazelwood, at least to his credit, has gone to the IPL and formulated a, a plan to bowl at this format, but the other two aren't. And, they, you know, they just had a, a good a good two or three weeks uh, last year, but I think they've just come back to what, what we expected them to do. So I don't think Australia's going to do anything until they change their attitude to... The format probably we, we probably take test cricket a lot more serious than most other countries, and our focus is always on that. And probably still at fifty fifty level, but yeah, I certainly I don't know your yeah, opinion. I, no, I, I think you're right there that the test form of the games are taken a lot more seriously than T Twenty still, and and perspective uh, that was shared not necessarily through Andrew McDonald, but that they are moving to a new world mm. with the big three, not necessarily not necessarily playing uh, white ball cricket and short form cricket after next year's 50-over World Cup, Baz. Yeah, exactly. And you're absolutely right, man. Uh, you look, Australia won the World Cup, but that didn't make him the best team in T20 cricket. When they were winning 50-over World Cups, they were the best team in that format by a distance, by a country mile. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, a lot of these players don't play enough T20 cricket. Mitchell Stark, 
a deadly white ball bowler, but he doesn't play enough T20 league cricket where you're facing different opposition, facing different conditions often enough to adjust. Uh, thank you, Blackie from Doreen. You've won a family pass to this weekend's Women's Big Bash Festival for City Power to enjoy the cricket from the people who power at City Power. Uh, we're going to take a break. Soon enough, we're going to be talking about the England team and their semi-final tonight on the Colo and Baz World Cup Party. It's the Colo and Baz World Cup Party here in Adelaide throughout the course of the afternoon. Some breaking news before we go to the news. Anthony McDonald and Woody is going to be returning to Essendon in 2023. There's some breaking news uh, that's just come through there. More of that on the run home later. And a reminder to listen to This Is Your Journey on Sunday from 10am. Sam Edmund talks to former Adelaide, Collingwood and Geelong player as well as former Adelaide coach and now SEN commentator Brenton Sanderson. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. We'll take a breather here. Adam Collins, Brett Sunderason. On the other side of it, we'll be talking England ahead of their semi-final against India across the bridge later tonight. It's the T20 World Cup party. Adam Collins, Brett Sunderason with you throughout the course of the afternoon here in Adelaide, City of Churches. And we've got a couple of guests with us, Baz. We said we promised that England would be represented in the show. I know they're not everyone's favourite tonight. Everyone is wanting that final at the MCG. I say everybody. Yeah. Everyone, every neutral fan is after the, the final between Pakistan and India at the G. But not these guys. Dean Wilson from the Mirror, George DeBell from the Cricketer Magazine in the UK. Good afternoon, gents. Dino, uh, you've rushed to your spot there. Uh, you're back in Adelaide, uh, a city that occasionally has been kind to England across the journey. They haven't played here in this tournament, though, and it'll be a used pitch tonight. Your thoughts? Yeah, afternoon, uh, Colo uh, and Barrett. I, yeah, I, I'm glad to be here, actually. I haven't been here for a, a little while. Didn't make it to Adelaide during the last uh, Ashes tour. Of um, mm -hmm. Minor things, sort of COVID thing. I don't know <laughs> what, what that was about. But, um, yeah, so great to be back and beautiful ground. Really enjoyed having a, a little walk around there over the last couple of days. And, yeah, as you say, you say used pitch, which kind of indicates maybe an issue with it. But, uh, to be honest, I don't think there was an issue with it at all. It looks absolutely fantastic that being said i've not seen it since maybe lightning struck it uh, <laughs> it felt like uh, my, my, my hotel the lightning uh, landed within within a kilometer and the thunder to go with it so we better just check that the pitch hasn't been cracked by that but uh, no look really looking forward to the game i think it's going to be a belter i think there's going to be a lot of runs uh, and something that we can all really get behind yeah that was quite the storm overnight george wasn't it it's, it's mm. clear now and we don't expect rain or effect play later this evening but uh i think everybody woke up in their hotel rooms this morning thinking boy this is something else yeah, it was fantastic. I was on the top floor of the same hotel as Dino. It was, uh, it was spectacular. It was absolutely <laughs> wonderful. It was great. Uh, George, you were here last year when, when England lost, uh, in the end, in the final session of mm. day five in, the, in that day-night test against Australia. But uh -huh. you've, you've got happy memories here from 10-11 when, when England came out victorious and set up their Ashes win. So it's not, even though Australia have had the better of it in, in recent times, you, you've got some happy memories to draw down on. Well, loads of happy memories. I've been in Adelaide. I love it. Um, yeah, 10-11 feels like a long time ago. I was really glad to be at that because it's been a lot of tests since. Was it three series we've been here since? Yes. <laughs> we haven't seen them win. Um, I think that game in Brisbane, by the way, was the first time I've ever seen England win a game in Brisbane. Right. Uh, oh. So, you know, lots of firsts. There's that theory, isn't there? Shield Berry, our colleague from The Telegraph in the UK, advances that you can't win in Brisbane if you're an England touring side without at least a month's preparation. It's that different to other parts of Australia, but it was a, a smash-and-grab effort last week to keep England in the tournament winning by 20 runs over the Black Caps. Is that what they say, that it takes a month? I, didn't, I haven't heard that before, but England basically had an afternoon's practice before yes. the last Ashes, <laughs> and funnily enough, didn't turn out that well. That wasn't a, a vintage trip, of course. I think I got COVID on that trip. Everyone goes to Sydney to hear the fireworks from the hotel room, don't they? <laughs> Good times.
at least thankfully Joe Root is not in Adelaide. He doesn't have very happy memories from his trip last last year. Get, kept getting hit in the nether regions repeatedly. I do remember him trying to board a board the team bus. I was just grabbing a car across the road. It, I could. It was painful. It Didn't was painful. he play great cricket? He kept Nathan Lyon out of the out of the side as a spinner. Prospect, he did. Yeah. yeah, prospect. Yeah, there you go. But happier memories from uh, before. But hey, guys, a lot of talk of Australia not waking up to this World Cup. Australian fans, anyway. Like, what's the reaction been like in England? Do people care? <laughs> what, that Australia been knocked out? No, 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 no. no about <laughs> the England team. <laughs> so really I'll talk about Australia being knocked out. I, I, I think. I think. You know. Uh, one tick is getting to the semi-final and, and the second tick is Australia not being there. Um, <laughs> no, look, obviously the two countries are, are, are classically intertwined. Um, I, I don't think that it's perhaps quite caught the imagination in that regard back in England, partly because of the time difference. Obviously people not um, being able to dial into it, although you can wake up first thing in the morning mm. and, and if you're sure. so inclined, you know, tune in. Um, but look... Uh, I think ultimately, you know, there is so much cricket around. We know we are forever involved in the game and, and it's hard to keep up sometimes. And so I think actually what happens is you get to a tournament like this and it sort of bubbles along and you have your kind of peaks and troughs. You have those high moments when the Netherlands beat South Africa or Ireland beat England, mm. absolutely. But really, it's sort of the business end is where it comes alive. And actually, a semi-final against India for England is a huge event in and of itself uh, and I think people really will be dialed in uh, to this one. Well, this is the stage that England made last year in the UAE they they were the team to beat or so it mm -hmm. felt going into the semi-finals and uh, New Zealand managed to, to steal it from them in the last couple of overs with uh, it was uh, Jimmy Neesham wasn't it right at the end there with uh, Daryl well, Mitchell. Mitchell. The, look, the reason that England keep losing at this stage is the reason they lost in 16 because they made the final in 16. Yes, of mm. course. May remember. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that remember the name. Yep, something uh, like that. And it was very painful. And the reason they lost in 21 is the same, death bowling. Mm. Right. And I'm not positive they've solved that. I mean, actually, they got to this stage of the tournament through really excellent bowling, and the batting actually hasn't really fired yet. But I, uh, that, that, that's still the worry. Yeah, it's it, an added layer of complexity tonight, isn't it? Mark Wood has got a brilliant record since returning from injury. 18 wickets at 10, I think I read this morning. He's been going at just before this tournament and since we've started uh, here in Australia. Um, it's, it's still touch and go whether he'll play? We don't think he is. don't think so. Oh. so I mean, did we ever get to the bottom of what's wrong with him, Dino? I, I think yesterday it was general soreness, but it must be more than that to keep a bowler of Wood's capacity out of a World Cup semi. Look, I, 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 all I think is it, it's something to do with his leg. I, I, I did watch him go through his... Oh, that's really insightful, isn't it? His leg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> athlete with sore leg. Um I did watch his fitness uh, test as it was. He was doing some sprints on the uh, outfield at Adelaide yesterday. Um, and I did notice as he kind of walked off um, between uh, sprinting and then doing some bowling, he was kind of favouring his right upper leg. So maybe mm -hmm. something there. I mean, that's just from, from what I saw. So we haven't been told officially exactly what it is, but you suspect there's a there's an injury there somewhere. Which I, I have seen it this morning. Out. We have breakfast at the uh, tables next to each other mm -hmm. and he was oh. he, he was keeping his cards yeah Virat was there as well oh, so. of course he was <laughs> um, I was there first I think they were following <laughs> uh, he, he um, wouldn't actually say but he looked quite downcast and he said I'll see you at the ground rather than I said good luck and he went I'll see you at the ground I took that to be <laughs> a bad sign but uh, look you've got to remember what he is he is an outright fast bowler he doesn't have a slower ball mm. I suspect that uh, 
you know, if it were Richard Hadley or Dennis Lilly, they'd be able to play. Mm. They'd be able to do to lean back on other skills. Well, what's that stat from during the, the tournament so far? He's, He's bowled 31, 31 <laughs> deliveries above 150 clicks. The next highest on that measure is Anrik Nokia with eight balls. So there is that big gap, just, isn't there? I was there? just about to pull that We've all seen the now. same we tweet on TV <laughs> last night. Exactly. Well, I we sent it to our, our and, WhatsApp group today. And, and, but, but, but even better, 31 balls over, over 150. Yeah. Um, I think there were 50 total balls on the screen. So 62%. There Incredible. we go. Take that. Well done. 62% uh, of the fastest balls in the tournament. I mean, you know, pace is such a great asset. Of course it is in cricket, but it can also go the distance, especially when you're up against someone like, you know, Rohit Sharma or, oh, it's or a Virat Kohli. It's a huge loss. But, you know, I've seen, you know, I, I remember asking Virat, in fact, one of the players that may well uh, take over from uh, Mark Wood today, possibly, is Tamar Mills. Mm. You know, he's capable of bowling at that speed as well. Maybe not as often. He does mix it up with slower balls and variations. But I remember when he burst onto the scene just before he got that deal. Yeah. Uh, over a million dollars at the IPL yeah. um, must be about sort of six or seven six years ago. Years now. ago yeah. um, but he really burst on the scene in that series against India, and I remember asking Vera, you know, what's it like? You know, how how are you getting ready to face this this exoset, you know, extreme pace of Timar Mills? And he just kind of relaxed, smiled, and says, "Yeah, I face ninety mile an hour bowling <laughs> all day long. I, I eat ninety mile an hour bowling for <laughs> breakfast, or the equivalent thereof." And and it's true when you you know you you got reactions like a cat, like so many of these Indian batsmen, pace can go. So you do need to use it well. So it was your question to Virat Kohli that got Mills that big deal. Basically, that's what you're angling at. Absolutely, but unfortunately, I didn't get my cut, so still waiting. <laughs> T, if you're listening, still waiting, mate. <laughs> Not yet. Hey, one question to Josh Butler was about, oh, how much he speaks to Owen Morgan. And he, at one point, said, this is my team. He's not captain anymore. Has it started feeling like Josh Butler's team yet? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I, I don't think there's a, a huge distinction between the two. I think they're really close. And it was the... It's just an evolving nature of the team. Mm. I do think um, it feels a little bit different. I don't think Alex Hales would be played, for example, if Owen was still captain. I, I, I don't think, as I say, it's not a revolution, it's evolution. But the, the more interesting thing, I think, will be what happens next, because I think quite a, a lot of these players are at the end of their mm. lifespan in, at this level. Uh, so the real changes maybe to come, it hasn't felt that different, do you think? Uh, perhaps not. I, th I mean, I think that Owen Morgan, no doubt, you know, did a lot of great things as captain. And, and you know, if you if you've got something that works and and that's right, you, you know, you'd be a fool to get rid of it just for the for the sake of it. And I think Josh Butler is no fool. Uh, George is right about Alex Hales. Although interestingly, I did speak to Owen yesterday, and if you read the Mirror this morning, you'll see that he's <laughs> very complimentary about Alex Hales and his performances. You know, two really good knocks against New Zealand and Sri Lanka to get England to the semi-final. So Owen Morgan, you know, certainly not bearing any grudges on that on that front. But it, it is an evolving process. I think Joss Butler is very keen to make sure that they don't just hang on to the past. Everything mm. about Owen Morgan has been about looking forward, yeah. about trying to push the limits, advance the game, advance the, 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 the team. I think Joss Butler is trying to do the same thing by leaving Owen behind hmm. and pushing things forward in his own way. And, and really, Owen quit at just the right moment. He, he was a fading force as a player. There's not much doubt about it. Uh, and, and he got the balance between having a bit of self-belief, uh, giving himself a chance to prove his worth, and then realising and retiring. I think he got that balance spot on in a, in a very selfless way. So he, he left the team in a pretty good place. And uh, 
the, the thing they both have in common is they were both here in 2015, which generally mm. was rough <laughs> as an English you know, cricket lover, I suppose. Uh, they were beaten all around Australia, and, and, and the chasm between them and the rest was obvious. And they were part of that. They, they were part of the pain of that. And we, there's been no looking back. Five, you know, five global limited over tournaments yeah. since, semifinals of all of them. A little bit, you know, these things, you have to remember how bad England were for how long. These are glory days, really, whatever happens now. Uh, George, we're just going to pause and take a break on our coverage here in Adelaide City of Churches before the second semifinal between England and India. When we return, we'll talk about the game tonight, the matchups, and, well, Ben Stokes, that man, back in form on Saturday night against Sri Lanka. Can he do it again in the winner-takes-all semifinal? It's the T20 World Cup party. Adam Collins, Brout Sander, racing with you throughout the course of the afternoon here in Adelaide, City of Churches. And we've got a couple of guests with us, Baz. We said we promised that England would be represented in the show. I know they're not everyone's favourite tonight. Everyone is wanting that final at the MCG. I say everybody. Yeah. Everyone, every neutral fan is after the, the final between Pakistan and India at the G. But not these guys. Dean Wilson from the Mirror, George DeBell from the Cricketer Magazine in the UK. Good afternoon, gents. Dino, uh, you've rushed your spot there. Uh, you're back in Adelaide, uh, a city that occasionally has been kind to England across the journey. They haven't played here in this tournament, though, and it'll be a used pitch tonight. Your thoughts? Yeah, afternoon, uh, Colo uh, and Barrett. I, yeah, I, I'm glad to be here, actually. I haven't been here for a, a little while. Didn't make it to Adelaide during the last uh, Ashes tour, um, mm-hmm. minor things, COVID thing, I don't know <laughs> what, what that was about. But um, yeah, so great to be back and beautiful ground. Really enjoyed having a, a little walk around there over the last couple of days. And yeah, as you say, you say used pitch, which kind of indicates maybe an issue with it. But uh, to be honest, I don't think there was an issue with it at all. It looks absolutely fantastic. That being said, I've not seen it since maybe lightning struck it. Uh, <laughs> it felt like uh, my, my, my hotel, the lightning uh, landed within within a kilometre and the thunder to go with it. So we better just check that the pitch hasn't been cracked by that. But uh, no, look, really looking forward to the game. I think it's going to be a belter. I think there's going to be a lot of runs uh, and something that we can all really get behind. Yeah, that was quite the storm overnight, George, wasn't it? It's, it's mm. clear now and we don't expect rain will affect play later this evening. But uh, I think everybody woke up in their hotel rooms this morning thinking, boy, this is something else. Yeah, it was fantastic. I was on the top floor of the same hotel as Dino. It was uh, spectacular. It was absolutely <laughs> wonderful. It was great. Uh, George, you were here last year when, when England lost, uh, in the end, in the final session of mm. day five in, the, in that day-night test against Australia. But uh-huh. you've, you've got happy memories here from 10-11 when, when England came out victorious and set up their Ashes win. So it's not, even though Australia have had the better of it in, in recent times, you, you've got some happy memories to draw down on. Well, loads of happy memories of being in Adelaide. I love it. Um, yeah, 10-11 feels like a long time ago. I was really glad to be at that because it's been a lot of tests since. Was it three series we've been here since? Yes. We haven't <laughs> seen the win. Um, I think that game in Brisbane, by the way, was the first time I've ever seen England win a game in Brisbane. Right. Uh, so, you know, lots of firsts. There's that theory, isn't there? Shield Berry, our colleague from The Telegraph in the UK, advances that you can't win in Brisbane if you're an England touring side without at least a month's preparation. It's that different to other parts of Australia, but it was a, a smash and grab effort last week to keep England in the tournament, winning by 20 runs over the Black Caps. Is that what they say? That it takes a month? I, didn't, I haven't heard that before, but England basically had an afternoon's practice before the last Ashes, <laughs> and funnily enough, didn't turn out that well. That wasn't a, a vintage trip, of course. I think I got COVID on that trip. Everyone goes to Sydney to hear the fireworks from the hotel room, don't they? <laughs> Good times. At least, thankfully, Joe Root is not in Adelaide. He doesn't have very happy memories from his trip last last year. Get, kept getting hit in the nether regions repeatedly. I don't remember him trying to board, a, board the team bus. I was just grabbing a car across the road. It 
I could. It was painful. It Didn't was painful. he play great cricket? It kept Nathan Lyon out of the out of the side as a spinner. Prospect, he did, yeah. yeah, prospect. Yeah. yeah, there you go. But happier memories from uh, before. But hey, guys, a lot of talk of Australia not waking up to this World Cup. Australian fans, anyway. Like, what's the reaction been like in England? Do people care? <laughs> what, Australia been knocked out? No, 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 no. <laughs> <about> <laughs> the England team. It's already a successful threat. I think. I think you know. Uh, one tick is getting to the semi-final, and, and the second tick is Australia not being there. Um, <laughs> no, look, obviously the two countries are, are, are classically intertwined. Um, I, I don't think that it's perhaps quite caught the imagination in that regard back in England, partly because of the time difference. Obviously, people not um, being able to dial into it, although you can wake up first thing in the morning, mm. and, and if you're sure. so inclined, you know, tune in. Um, but look... Uh, I think ultimately, you know, there is so much cricket around. We know we are forever involved in the game and and it's hard to keep up sometimes. And so I think actually what happens is you get to a tournament like this and it sort of bubbles along and you have your kind of peaks and troughs. You have those high moments when the Netherlands beat South Africa or Ireland beat England. Mm. Absolutely. But really, it's sort of the business end is where it comes alive. And actually, a semi-final against India for England is a huge event in and of itself uh, and I think people really will be dialed in uh, to this one. But this is the stage that England made last year in the UAE they they were the team to beat or so it mm-hmm. felt going into the semi-finals and uh, New Zealand managed to, to steal it from them in the last couple of overs with uh, it was uh, Jimmy Neesham wasn't it right at the end there with uh, Daryl well, Mitchell. Mitchell the reason that England keep losing at this stage is the reason they lost in 16 because they made the final in 16. Yes, of mm. course. You may remember. <laughs> yes. <laughs> remember the name. Yep, something uh, like that. And it was very painful. And the reason they lost in 21 is the same, death bowling. Mm. Right. And I'm not positive they've solved that. I mean, actually, they got to this stage of the tournament through really excellent bowling, and the batting actually hasn't really fired yet. But I, uh, that, that, that's still the worry. Yeah, it's it, an added layer of complexity tonight, isn't it? Mark Wood has got a brilliant record since returning from injury. 18 wickets at 10, I think I read this morning. He's been going at just before this tournament and since we've started uh, here in Australia. Um, it's, it's still touch and go whether he'll play? We don't think he is. I don't think so. Oh. so I mean, did we ever get to the bottom of what's wrong with him, Dino? I, I think yesterday it was general soreness, but it must be more than that to keep a bowler of Wood's capacity out of a World Cup semi. Look, I, 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 all I think is it, it's something to do with his leg. I, I, I did watch him go through his... Yeah, that's really insightful, isn't it? His leg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> athlete with sore leg. Um I did watch his fitness uh, test as it was. He was doing some sprints on the uh, outfield at Adelaide yesterday. Um, And I did notice as he kind of walked off um, between uh, sprinting and then doing some bowling, he was kind of favouring his right upper leg. So maybe Mm -hmm. something there. I mean, that's just from, from what I saw. So we haven't been told officially exactly what it is, but you suspect there's a, there's an injury there somewhere. I I have seen it this morning. We have, Breakfast at the uh, tables next to each other, mm-hmm. and he was oh. he, he was keeping his cards. Yeah, Virat was there as well. Oh, so. Of course he was. <laughs> um, I was there first. I think they were following. <laughs> uh, he he um, wouldn't actually say, but he looked quite downcast, and he said, "I'll see you at the ground." Rather than I said, "Good luck," and he went, "I'll see you at the ground." I took that to be <laughs> a bad sign. But I, look, you've got to remember what he is. He is an outright fast bowler. He doesn't have a slower ball. Mm. I suspect that. Uh, you know, if it were Richard Hadley or Dennis Lilly, they'd be able to play. Mm. They'd be able to do to lean back on other skills. Well, what's that stat from during the, the tournament so far? He's, He's bowled 31, 31 deliveries <laughs> above 150 clicks. The next highest on that measure is Anrik Nokia 
with eight balls. So that there was, is that big gap, just, isn't there? I was there? just about to pull that. We've all seen the same tweet on TV last night. I sent it to our WhatsApp group today. But even better, 31 balls over over 150. I think there were 50 total balls on the screen. So 62%. There Incredible. we go. Take that. Well done. 62% uh, of the fastest balls in the tournament. I mean, you know, pace is such a great asset. Of course it is in cricket, but it can also go the distance, especially when you're up against someone like, you know, Rohit Sharma or, oh, it's or a Virat Kohli. It's a huge loss. But, you know, I've seen, you know, I, I remember asking Virat, in fact, one of the players that may well uh, take over from uh, Mark Wood today possibly is Tamar Mills mm. you know he's capable of bowling at that speed as well maybe not as often he does mix it up with slower balls and variations but I remember when he burst onto the scene just before he got that deal yeah. uh, uh, over a million dollars at the IPL yeah. um, must be about sort of six or seven six years, years ago, years ago yeah. um, but he really burst on the scene in that series against India and I remember asking Vera you know what's it like you know how, how are you getting ready to face this this exocet you know, extreme pace of Tim R. Mills and he just kind of relaxed, smiled and says, yeah, I face 90 mile an hour bowling all day long. No, I, I eat 90 mile an hour bowling for breakfast <laughs> or the equivalent thereof. And and it's true when you're, you know, you're, you've got reactions like a cat, like so many of these Indian batsmen, pace can go. So you do need to use it well. So it was your question to Virat Kohli that got Mills that big deal. Basically, that's what you're angling at. Absolutely. No. But unfortunately, I didn't get my cut. So still waiting. <laughs> T, if you're listening, still waiting, mate. <laughs> Not yet. Hey, one question to Joss Butler was about, oh, how much he speaks to Owen Morgan. And he at one point said, this is my team. He's not captain anymore. Has it started feeling like Joss Butler's team yet? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I, I don't think there's a, a huge distinction between the two. I think they're really close. And it was the... It, it's just an evolving nature of the team. Mm. I do think um, it feels a little bit different. I don't think Alex Hales would be played, for example, if Owen was still captain. Uh, I, I don't think, as I say, it's not a revolution, it's evolution. But the, the more interesting thing, I think, will be what happens next, because I think quite a, a lot of these players are at the end of their mm. lifespan in, at this level. Uh, so the real changes may be to come. It hasn't felt that different, do you think? Uh, perhaps not. I, th I mean, I think that Owen Morgan, no doubt, you know, did a lot of great things as captain. And, and you know, if you if you've got something that works and and that's right, you, you know, you'd be a fool to get rid of it just for the for the sake of it. And I think Josh Butler is no fool. Uh, George is right about Alex Hales. Although interestingly, I did speak to Owen yesterday, and if you read the Mirror this morning, you'll see that he's <laughs> very complimentary about Alex Hales and his performances. You know, two really good knocks against New Zealand and Sri Lanka to get England to the semi-final. So Owen Morgan, you know, certainly not bearing any grudges on that on that front. But it, it is an evolving process. I think Joss Butler is very keen to make sure that they don't just hang on to the past. Everything mm. about Owen Morgan has been about looking forward, yeah. about trying to push the limits, advance the game, advance the, 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 the team. I think Joss Butler is trying to do the same thing by leaving Owen behind hmm. and pushing things forward in his own way. And, and really, Owen quit at just the right moment. He, he was a fading force as a player. There's not much doubt about it. Uh, and, and he got the balance between having a bit of self-belief, uh, giving himself a chance to prove his worth, and then realising and retiring. I think he got that balance spot on in, in a very selfless way. So he, he left the team in a pretty good place. And uh, the, the thing they both have in common is they were both here in 2015 which generally was rough <laughs> as an English you know, cricket lover, I suppose. Uh, they were beaten all around Australia, and, and, and the chasm between them and the rest was obvious. And they were part of that. They, they were part of the pain of that. 
And there's been no looking back. Five semi-finals, you know, five global limited over tournaments yeah. since. Semi-finals of all of them. A little bit, you know, th- these things, you have to remember how bad England were yeah, for how long. Th- these, these are glory days, really. Whatever happens now. Uh, George, we're just going to pause and take a break on our coverage here in Adelaide City of Churches before the second semi-final between England and India. When we return, we'll talk about the game tonight, the matchups, and, well, Ben Stokes, that man, back in form on Saturday night against Sri Lanka. Can he do it again? Winner-takes-all semi-final. About 40 minutes left of Colo and Baz's World Cup party. Thanks to Brick Lane for lovers and makers of great beer. Drink responsibly and for the Master Builders Victoria. Get expert legal support. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. We are very pleased to have Dean Wilson from the Daily Mirror. George DeBell from the Cricketer Magazine in the UK with us talking all things England. Uh, both of you, you men know Ben Stokes very well. You've both written about him, written with him for that matter, over the last 10 years or so. There were... A number of critics from, let's call it T20 land, who, who focused <laughs> specifically on the analytics of the game, who said there was no room for Ben Stokes in this side. Others, who don't just view cricket through spreadsheets, perhaps, thought, well, he could be important in a clutch situation. And so it was on Saturday when he made 42 not out when they needed to win, George. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good leading question, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah. love him, George, that's why. Uh, yeah, well, I think, he, uh, God, it's such a joy to be reporting on a side which has him in it because sure. it's always something to write about. Uh, he's one of the players you want to turn up and watch every day. Mm. Yeah, of course he is. I think that uh, something I'm always reminded that statistics, uh, the average person has one testicle and one tit. You've got to be so careful with statistics. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even sure where to take that. <laughs> the point being, you can do anything with data. You can do anything with it. It's exactly the same as letters and words. You can rearrange it whatever order you like. But if you don't think Ben Stokes is really good at cricket, you need to uh, have a moment. Anyway, yeah, when everyone was losing their head the other day, he kept his and he got England over the line. Has he been at his best so far? Hell no. Uh, Is he quite near the end, maybe, as an all-format player? Yeah, yeah, he probably is. I mean, there are a lot of miles in that knee and it seems to be hard work. Sure. But he's also one of the most economical seamers in the tournament. Uh, He's been fantastic in the field. And you just feel that if he gets a bit more cricket in him, which he's now had, that was the longest T20 innings of his international career, then he could still probably do something special, you know, score at a much quicker strike rate. Uh, He hasn't played very much T20 internationally just because of his, well, partly because of injuries, partly because of private stuff, and partly because uh, they've tried to rest him. But there's a lot more to come from him, I think, and I think that innings will have helped a lot. We spoke with Zainab Abbas about Pakistan earlier, Dino, and, and the emphasis on their opening partnership, Barbara Azam, Mohamed Rizwan. We didn't really think England would be set up that way, but so far, no England middle order players more, made more than 60 runs cumulatively through mm. the World Cup. It's been a lot about Alex Hales and Josh Butler, whether one of those two fire, but not so much about the men in the middle, Harry Brook, Liam Livingston, Stokes to an extent. Uh, in, in all probability, they'll be needed tonight in this semi against India because they, they get wickets in the power play. Yeah, I, I think that's where, I think, in fact, the, the word that I would use to kind of describe the way this tournament has evolved is power play, actually. That is yeah. where batting mm. has really taken on such huge importance, um, largely, I think, because of fielding restrictions, um, because I think it has allowed the openers to really, you know, throw their hands at the ball uh, as and when they can. And obviously a harder ball, it's still moving. You know, it's obviously, there's more swing and seam movement in this tournament because of the weather, but uh, just watching some terrific players really get stuck in the middle overs as the ball gets a bit softer, as it gets harder to to pierce those boundaries. Boundaries are bigger, obviously, mm. out in Australia as well. So it has been quite hard work. I, I do think that 
perhaps we might see something slightly akin to what we might call normal T20 rules here in terms of maybe some slightly bigger hitting for longer. Certainly, that's England's intention. Um, but, uh, look, I, I think if you're uh, a Liam Livingston, a Moeen Ali uh, type player, Surya Kumar, y- Yadav, you know, your natural instinct is to hit that ball as hard as you can, as sweetly timed as you can, um, and, and take a risk. You know, these guys are not the best players in the world because they play conservative cricket. They play risky cricket, exciting cricket, and maybe, just maybe, tonight I think we'll see it come off for for more players than just the openers uh, in both teams. Well, we've spoken about the skills and the technique and the tactics. It'll come down to can England hold their nerve when 41,500 Indians are cheering on for their team and some 400 England Barmies and 10 of you are <laughs> supporting England. Uh, there are some big match players here, a lot of them with IPL experience as well, but do you think they can hold their nerve? Well, I, I definitely think they can hold their nerve. I, and I actually, th- and I believe them when they talk about getting excited by that kind of challenge. I think there was a time when that would intimidate and mm-hmm. daunt certain players, you know, um, having to produce their skills under pressure in front of a, a baying crowd like that. But no, I think that this this generation, that, that's what it's all about. That's what they love. That's what they're, they're here to do. Um, and actually, I think they, they see it as a, almost as a, a validation, as a sign of respect that it's it's even harder against an India or a Pakistan with that support. But and you come through that, you know, the huge tick for you. The support's quite nice, though. You know, <laughs> Indian supporters are massively enthusiastic and they're raucous, but they're not unpleasant. Mm. I mean, England mm. have played here against Australia. True, true, true. Uh, and, and sometimes the uh, atmosphere at the Ashes is downright hostile, you know? So I don't think they'll be intimidated by that at all. I, I, I'm genuinely not at all concerned about uh, the players being overawed. I'm more worried about them being outskilled. Mm. So the, the issue that England have had so far in this tournament is the batting hasn't fired and the bowling's over-delivered. I'm slightly concerned they go into this match on a better wicket and the cutters won't be as effective and the batters haven't really found form against a very skillful bowling attack. So England's record in this tournament be spin is a worry. Mm. Uh, they're actually not hitting that many boundaries and as you say, the, the middle order hasn't particularly fired. It's not, of course, about individuals. It's about winning. It's about a team. And the good thing with England is they bat deep as hell. But uh, I, I'm more worried about the skills than the, um, the atmosphere. I'm not saying we're a pessimistic nation. But, uh, <laughs> uh, George, you're not winning too many trophies with that kind of approach. That, that well, maybe worried, it might worried be, about what we can't do. Well, it might be <laughs> something to do with guys who haven't necessarily been to this ground, or maybe not this ground. Phil Salt, I'm thinking of. He has played for the, the Strikers in the Big Bash League a, a couple of years ago. But um, to those who haven't watched much of Salt, relatively new to the international arena, if he does come in for Darby Milan tonight, what can you expect? He'll smash it. I mean, he'll try and smash it. He's yep. a very, very aggressive player. He He's more aggressive, actually, than well, probably any of them in the top order. So he should probably come in at three. And I think he'll be more aggressive than anyone else in the top four, including Joss Butler. An interesting backstory as well, Dino, for for, uh, for Phil Salt. Wasn't sort of straight away through the English pathway. No, absolutely. I think he's actually more Bayesian than me, um, <laughs> even though my dad's from Barbados. Um, yeah, spent uh, you know his formative years out there and um, you know has, has come back over to, to the UK um, now playing at Lancashire, and, and as George says, you know, a terrifically um, devastating uh, top order batsman. I, I think where he bats kind of depends on the state of the game. So yeah, I think that if uh, if England were to lose an opener within 
three overs in the power play, then yeah, absolutely get him in there and, and, and let him crack on. I think if they were to lose a wicket in the eighth or ninth over mm. with a platform built, then actually Ben Stokes is the one who comes in and then you know accumulates and builds and, and sets them up for a, a, a really big finish as well. So I think England absolutely are going to adapt to the circumstance. I think they kind of learned that lesson the hard way against Ireland. Um, but yeah, I think that Phil Salt, he's been itching to, to get a go from what I, I hear, what I hear, but also what I've seen about the way he's carried on at Nets. He's absolutely been teeing off and timing it beautifully. There. He looks the best of them at the um, Nets. He's, he's the one who's cool. stuck out. And, yeah. and, and, and he's the one who faces the bowlers. That's what one thing that Mark Wood yeah. said to us is that, you know, most batsmen, why would you want to face a 150 clip bowler for fun? Um, they like to face the dog thrower or throwdowns mm. from the coaches. Mm. Phil Salt says, "No, no, come on, Woody, come on, Wokesy, come <laughs> on, guys, bowl to me at the nets, and I'll and I'll have a go at you." And also wears wonderfully bright red shoes to the nets, which always helps. Like, yeah. You know, spotting where Phil Salt is. Another guy we haven't spoken about who's uh, been a revelation during this World Cup is Sam Curran. I, I picked Terrific. your brains on him yeah. yesterday. Um, brilliant in the death, uh, and you spoke about death bowling being a problem, but he has really stood on, and he's no, one of he's those... he's been terrific. He, you're absolutely right. But but one thing with that, and I don't want to take anything away, because you know, I've written about him several times this World Cup, and you're right, he has been the standout player for England. He's, you know, uh, matured fantastically well. He's a terrific cricketer. All I would say is that they have played on wickets that maybe have suited mm. him a wee bit in that his cutters have gripped. There's lots to like about him, but I just wonder... Also, they've, they've played with massive square boundaries very often. Yeah. And so that slower ball cutter grips, people mishit it, and it goes to a boundary catch. If you mishit it here, it still goes for six. Mm. They're literally 20 metres shorter, the boundaries, on each side, yeah. 20 metres than at the Gabber or Perth. Well, that's a big difference. If you remember all the outfield catches that have been taken off him, that Fiper, I think they were all outfield yeah. catches. So that, that's a little worry. But again, Dina, as Dina points out, I'm no coach here. I'm a pessimistic. <laughs> Listen, I was brought up watching England be thrashed. <laughs> you got that Sam Curran. Yeah, fair enough, too. Uh, Sam Curran, a death in this tournament. It's about 40 deliveries. He's conceded 32 runs for seven wickets and conceded just one boundary Brilliant. in the last five mm. overs. So it puts into some perspective. And he'll just love how it, well, by the way. He won't, he, there's no chance he'll be overawed. Absolutely. He'll be absolutely oh, he loving being thrown the ball for the key moments. Uh, I've got a positive for you on, on the way out of our chat here. A text line 04 98 Eleven sixteen, the 40 Winks temper text machine. Good afternoon, Adam. Show you my age here, but I remember the 1987 World Cup in India when it got to the semi-final stage. Everybody expected it to be mm. India-Pakistan final, yet it ended up being Australia-England. Mm. India will have the majority of the support tonight, but England will not be overawed, says oh. Derek in Brisbane. I think it was Eddie Hemmings helped yes. roll England to victory in yes. that one. I pretended to be sick at school so I could watch it. I think that's the last time <laughs> England beat India in a World Cup elimination game. I've got a feeling. Interesting. So I mean, effectively, there's something to grasp onto. It was effectively elimination in 2019, if you remember, actually. Of Christmas. course, yes. But, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a good start. I yes, that was the, the day that Johnny Bairstow came to play and kept England in the tournament. Of course, they went on to win it. Uh, George DeBell, Dean Wilson, wonderful to have you both on Thanks SEN this afternoon on the Collo and Baz uh, World Cup party. Baz? Yeah, everybody's better when Dean Wilson and George DeBell join, right? Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you. Hey, here's the big call out. I've been promising, we've been promising for two and a half hours that there is a quiz coming. The Bazalenko All Sports Super Quiz is coming up soon. Get your calls in. one 736 736 Thanks to Werribee here. Get those calls in now. We'll put you in the queue. And if you're the last caller standing, you'll win a truckload of prizes. Back in a sec. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale. Brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly. 
access to the best in construction industry training? Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN. <laughs> we promised a quiz, we promised a stinger. Has it worked? I'm not quite sure. We're here though. We've got 10 questions on the page. We've got not a lot of time to work with either. Mm. Get your calls in 1300 736 736 and join the queue. And why wouldn't you? It's winner takes all. Ooh, wow. We've got five prizes to give away. Get on there straight away. 1300 736 736. It's pretty straightforward. You get it right, you keep playing. You get it wrong, you're out. So, should we start? Let's do it. You excited? Yes, very Going excited. back to my university days. SEN Afternoons Quiz, here we go. Right, first up, Michael from Hawthorne. Are you there? Yes, I am. Hello. Hello, Michael. Right, Hello. let's, give this, a, give, Hello. let's give this a whirl. Can you hear us? Yes, can you hear me? Can indeed. Here we go. Which champion Hello. tennis player... I hope you can still hear us. This is going well. Uh, which champion yep. tennis player was referred to... In the nobody beats Vetus Gerolaitis 17 times in a row quote. Uh, nobody Moore. beats, not quite, but close. Uh, next up, we have Glenn from Melton. Thank you, Michael. Glenn, uh, which champion tennis player was referred to in the nobody beats Vetus Gerolaitis 17 times in a row? Who is he talking about, Gerolaitis? We'll go Jimmy yeah. Connors. Bang. That's a well done. <laughs> okay, that's one down. Nine to go. Uh, from which lane did Kieran Perkins win gold in the 1500 metres at the 96 Olympics in Atlanta? Rare gold, the best kind lane of eight. gold. Lane eight, bang. <laughs> Going beautifully. Who took a hat trick for Ireland last week in the T20 World Cup? The week before last. No, no, last week. It was last week. Last week. McCarthy or something like that. You are so close. close. I'm afraid you're gone, Glenn. Uh, Garth from Woodville Park. The question is, who took a hat-trick for Ireland last week in the T20 World Cup? And it wasn't Bazza McCarthy. Have you got to say Garth at Woodville Park? I think he might have dropped off. We're going to jump forward to Adam in St Kilda. Same question. Uh, Adam, uh, who took a hat-trick for Ireland last week in the T20 World Cup? And it wasn't Barry McCarthy. Was it McCauley? Wasn't McCauley either. Thank you, Adam. You can get back in the queue. Remember, one 736 736 Winner takes it all in the prizes. There's more prizes than I've had hot dinners. Uh, next up is Tim from Mornington. Clue time, isn't it? Uh, yeah. It's a left armour. Mm -hmm. uh, he gets the ball swinging around. He's Ireland's attack leader, and he was very important in their win against England at the MCG. Which Irish bowler took a hat-trick against New Zealand last week in the T20 World Cup? Are you there, boys? We are indeed. You got us? You there, yep. Yes, I'll, Tim. Um, I'll go Josh Little. Well, You're on fire, Tim. Uh, question four. Who won Australia's first gold medal in the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona? Um, 1952, was it? 1992. 92 in Barcelona. Who won the first gold medal? A clue. She had very, very blonde hair. <laughs> um, I'll go... And she was on the bike. Uh, oh, God, I'm having a brain thought. Oh, I don't know. Um, blonde hair. Oh, um, I can picture her. Um, 
Nah, it's not coming nah, to me. It's okay. Oh, well no done, worries at all. Right. Thanks for calling in, Tim, from Mornington. Next up, we've got Daniel from Manifold Heights. Who won Australia's first gold medal in the 1992 Olympic Games? Cyclist with very blonde hair. Daniel. Ah, uh, Kathy Watt. Well Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, this is one close to my heart, which might be a giveaway if you know what I've done in the past. In which year was the first night final played? In the AFL, a night final, qualifying final. What year was it at the G? I reckon I went to that. Was it um, 1993, Edwin Carlton? Yes, spot on. Blues won by a couple of points in an absolute thriller. Come on, come on. The logo on the ball, the whole bit. Uh, Where are we? Question six. Name the famous mascot for the 1982 Commonwealth Games in Brisbane. I must admit, I wouldn't have got this right. This was written for me, Baz. The, the famous oh mascot, Daniel from Manifold Heights. Oh, the, 82 um, Commonwealth Games. Yeah, the kangaroo? Yeah. Uh, w- 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 uh, there's, there's a national sporting team of the kangaroo as its logo at the moment. Mm. And what are they called? Famous national song as well. That's true. A famous national song. I'm giving you a big, big hint there from Baz. Uh, what, are, what are our... I'm, I'm going to basically give you this. Uh, the women's national football team are called the... Are they Jillaroos? No, they're not. That's the rugby league mm. side, I'm pretty sure. Thank you, Daniel, from Manifold Heights. We've got Tony from Hillside. Uh, 82 Commonwealth Games in Brisbane. Uh, what was the name of the mascot? Also the name of our women's football team. Who are playing this week? Matildas. Bang. Oh. Okay, Tony, you're close here. You're four questions away from a truckload of prizes. Who hit the highest individual score of this T20 World Cup? As it stands, highest score in the tournament. Williamson from New Zealand. No, it wasn't. But thanks for calling, Tony, from Hillside. We've got Steve from Thomastown. Who hit the highest score of this T20 World Cup as it stands? I hit a ton. Uh, is that Devon from, uh, Devon from New Zealand? No, Conway's 92 wasn't the highest score. There was a century. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Lenny from Brisbane, who hit the highest individual score of this T20 World Cup as it stands? I had Glenn Phillips initially, but it was Riley Russo now that I think of it. Very good, Lenny in Brisbane. Three away. It's one of my favourite quiz questions, Baz. Mm. This is the sort of one you can kind of go around around the houses a bit with. Let's try it out. What time did Ben Johnson run in the 100 metres final of the 1988 Olympics? Famously declared, if it's legal. Um, 9.79. Oh, Oh, yes, Lenny. done, Lenny. Yes, Lenny. Played on the big scoreboard at the MCG at halftime of the grand final. Two questions to go. And I'll tell you what, I reckon these are half volleys. Which country won the inaugural men's T20 World Cup back in 2007? Who won it the first time? Lenny and Brisbane. It wasn't the West Indies. They won it twice in 2012 and 2016. Andrew from Haddon, you're in a good position here with two questions to go. What was the country that won the inaugural men's T20 World Cup in 2007 in South Africa? Uh, I'm going to say India. Amazonia, indeed. Well done. And this... Might be the easiest question oh, yes. of them all. Let's... All the pressure on Andrew and Haddon. Free hit, free hit. Who was bowling the final over of the 1999 World Cup semi-final, the tied semi-final between Australia and South Africa? 
Andrew from Haddon, you've, you've, you've jumped on at the right time. Questions oh, 9 and time. 10 weren't quite as challenging as the ones earlier, but how about this? Baz, do you want to read out the prizes? He's won the lot. Well, he's won everything. You won a family pass to this weekend's Women's Big Bash festivals. Uh, you won a CNET Boost Power Bank, valued at $59.95. We'll keep your phone, tablet, and earbuds powered 24 by 7. You might have won a mystery craft beer bundle thanks to Hairy Dog. I have a couple of them at home. The largest <laughs> range of alcohol online delivered, hairydog.com. You won a $50 Brick Lane Brewing Voucher, Brick Lane One Lao Pale Ale, perfect for all occasions and the ultimate crowd pleaser, but do drink responsibly. And you won a $100 Garmi Chicken Voucher. Garmi, the unmissable chicken. Visit garmichicken.com.au for your nearest restaurant. That's G-A-M-I chicken.com.au. That is the prize pack for you, Andrew. You must be pumped. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you very much. I hope that worked. The Colo and Vasilenko super quiz, that's that. We're going to take one more break on our World Cup party uh, when we come back. A few more texts uh, for double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Thanks to 40 Winks, that's the temper text machine. Or give us a call. It's time for Talkback, 1-300-736-736. Thanks to Werribee Kia. We're winding down on the Colo and Baz World Cup party here at Adelaide, ahead of the second semi-final this evening between India and England. Uh, Baz, I'm, I'm glad we did the quiz. It's divided yes. opinion. Uh, we've got Andrew on the text saying it was a very hard quiz. Can't believe anyone got the answers right. Another text saying it was too easy. So I think we might have mm. got the balance oh, right good. or something like that. I, I note that Lenny, who was one of our callers, <laughs> we, we both looked at each other. Lenny from Brisbane. I wonder if that's Lenny Phillips from Twitter. From So it is. Got a message here. 2006... I met my wife. So the 2006 to 2009 era, a complete cricket graveyard in my mind. He's fuming, not knowing that in 2007, India mm. won the T20 World Cup final, the first edition of that. Lenny actually is a co-owner of the of the grand final Batmobile that I picked up a couple of years ago. Of course he is, yeah. I think everybody uh, in Melbourne is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he, he did the middle over role, didn't he? He, he did. Took took the quiz into the death overs and then it was just finished off in grand fashion. I think he got Ben Johnson 9.79, which was probably the hardest I of know, the yeah. questions. So Impressive, but yeah. Got there in the end. Uh, now, to, to, uh, show, show your support for McHappy Day by purchasing a pair of silly socks from Maccas for only $5. Money raised will go towards Ronald McDonald House charities as they continue to help seriously ill or injured children and their family. So um, that's the end of our commercial commitments for the day. As we said throughout, it's been so much fun doing this. Uh, as a, I've listened to this program for years, <laughs> and they threw us the keys today, Baz. They said, have a play for three hours, talk about the cricket, and we've put together uh, a pretty halfway decent show. I think we had Harsha Bogle, Zana Babas, Sam Perry, Dean Wilson, George Tabella. Might be missing some people Ian there. Smith to Ian Smith Ian Smith to start the show. There, It's been a lot of fun. I mean, they just said, like, put on a show. And uh, like India and Pakistan did at the MCG, we put on the greatest show they've ever seen. <laughs> I heard. Last thing we, we need to do is uh, is to uh, is to put in our predictions for this evening. Mm. Uh, Baz, you've watched India play a lot of elimination <laughs> cricket over the years. Uh, we were together at Manchester uh, commentating for SCN uh, on the semi-final yep. in 2019, uh, where they fell short thanks to Martin Guptill's arm. I must say, it does feel a wee bit different mm. tonight, doesn't it? They are raging hot favourites. They are, and they have a different captain. Rohit Sharma, who knows a thing or two about winning big titles, five IPL titles uh, when he was Mumbai captain. And also another thing he will do, unlike Virat Kohli, is he'll stay so calm. We saw him at the press conference yesterday at training, 
He's so relaxed. Just that's just Rohit. That's just how he is. And I think that'll calm everyone else down as well. Having Rahul Dravid in that camp as well. I think Rahul Dravid gets more tense than Rohit Sharma does, to be honest. I think that'll really hold them in good stead. And they need this title. You know, they need to win today. They need to get to the final and face Pakistan. But since 2007, they've been waiting and they need this title. I was about to ask you, who, what would you do if you won the toss? But here's the thing. There's been 11 T20 internationals played at Adelaide Oval mm. going back about 11 years. Every team that's won the toss has lost the game. Will that remain the same tonight? Do you want to uh, run the risk of tempting fate? Do you believe in the cricket gods? Uh, I do. And, you know, that's been the beauty of this World Cup, right, Adam? Nothing's been predictable. So now suddenly the, the logic in Adelaide has been to defend. Teams have done well defending totals. But it's a night game as well. That puts everything else into a different context. So, yeah, if I were the captain, I wouldn't want to win the toss. So all the interviews and the whole show, indeed, I'm told, is going to be on the SEN Cricket podcast Ooh. page if you want to pick it up. It's been a lot of fun. Catch every ball of tonight's T20 World Cup semi-final between India and England across the bridge, live from Adelaide Oval, across the SEN network from 6.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time or 6pm here in Adelaide. Up next, a run home with Andy Ma and Andrew Gaze, followed by Sports Day with Jared Healy and Brad Johnson before our coverage of England up against India. The semi-final of the World Cup. Can't wait. This has been the Collo and Baz World Cup party. Ta-da. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.